when you reach my age, you find that much of your time is spent living in the past, recalling its pleasures. I stayed for the first time at Bertram's Hotel when I was a girl of fourteen, with my aunt and my uncle Thomas when he was Canon of Ely, long ago, and I've never forgotten it. So when my nephew Raymond West, whose last book was really doing rather well, offered to give me two weeks' holiday as a special treat. We present June Whitfield as Miss Marple in Agatha Christie's At Bertram's Hotel. What about Bournemouth? It's very kind of you, Raymond, but I don't think. But it will be so good for you. Get you away from the dreary, claustrophobic life you lead in St Mary Mead. Well, yes, I would like a little visit somewhere for a change, but not perhaps Bournemouth. Eastbourne, Torquay. You know, Raymond, what I really would like. Yes, Aunt Jane. What I would really like would be to go to Bertram's Hotel. Bertram's Hotel. Where's that? It's in London, quite close to the park, not far from Berkeley Square. I used to stay there as a child. You're sure it still exists? That was what was so remarkable about Bertram's Hotel. It was still there, exactly the same. There were the big swing doors with a man who looked as if he might have been a field marshal standing outside them. A fine afternoon, ma'am. Uh, welcome to Bertram's Hotel. Uh, we'll see to your cases. And once inside, it was as if you were in a vanished world. Time had gone back, and you were in Edwardian England. Even the receptionist, frumpy but respectable, with frizzled yellowish hair, looked as if she belonged to a different age. You're in number 14, Miss Marple. It's at the back of the hotel, very quiet and peaceful. I'm sure you'll be happy there. And when I came down to the lounge to take tea, it was as if nothing had changed since my childhood. A large and magnificent figure called Henry brought such delicate cucumber sandwiches and the kind of seed cake I thought had vanished forever. And as for the other guests, there were two canons and a rural dean, and over in the corner there was a bishop, no less. And surely, over by the window, that was Lady Selina Hazy, whom I'd not seen since I was a young girl, talking to a man who could only have been a retired army officer. I suppose you've been at Newbury, Derek. Yes, damn cold. I didn't wait for the last two races. Disastrous day. Oh. No. And uh, what brought you up to town? Well, the dentist. Hmm? As I was up, I thought I might go and see a man in Harley Street about my arthritis. Do any good? Well, I rather think he did. Good. He took me by the neck when I wasn't expecting it and wrung it like a chicken. Must have hurt. Oh, it feels all right now. Oh, good. I can look over my right shoulder for the first time in years, you see. Why, I do believe that's old Jane Marple sitting over there. Huh? I thought she died years ago. Good afternoon, Lady Selina. Good afternoon, Colonel. Did you have a good day at Newbury? Mr. Humphreys was often taken by the uninitiated to be Mr. Bertram in person, though who the actual Mr. Bertram was, or indeed, if there ever had been a Mr. Bertram, was long lost in the mists of antiquity. Tell me, Humphreys, how do all these old dears manage to come and stay in a place like this? Well, the answer's quite simple, Colonel. 
They couldn't afford it in the normal run of things, unless... Unless you made special prices for them, is that it? Yes, it amounts <laughs> to that. But Bertrams couldn't just afford to be a charitable concern for genteel old ladies. So what can you possibly get out of it? It's a question of atmosphere. Hmm? Strangers coming to this country, Americans mostly because they're the ones who have the money, have their rather curious ideas of what England is like. They don't want to find this country the same as their own. They expect London to be rather as it was in the time of Henry James. And they want the people who stay here to be the kind of people they'd never come across anywhere else. I see. And so, with a little discretion about prices in particular cases, we're able to set the scene, as it were. All the time the men had been talking, Selina had been regarding me attentively over her buttered muffins, and finally she came over and sat down beside me. Jane? It is Jane Marple, isn't it? Yes, Selina, it is Jane. I know it sounds silly, but I don't seem to be able to remember faces as well as I did. <laughs> Twice today I've gone over to talk to an old acquaintance and discovered it to be somebody quite different. <laughs> Do you always stay at Bertram's when you come up to town? Odd that I've never seen you here before. No, I couldn't possibly afford to stay in a place like this, and in any case, I hardly ever leave home now. No, it was my nephew's idea that I should Good just Lord. take... Hmm? Isn't that Bess Sedgwick over there? Oh, it can't be. But it must be. Bess Sedgwick? Oh, for goodness sake, Jane, even in St. Margaret Mead or whatever it is, you must have heard of Bess Sedgwick. Oh, yes, of course. Wasn't she involved with the French resistance during the war? She's supposed to have killed six Germans. She's also flown solo across the Atlantic, oh. ridden on horseback from the Vosges to the Caucasus, saved two children from a burning house, and is even supposed to have smuggled herself aboard a nuclear submarine on its maiden voyage. And didn't I read somewhere that she's been married several times? Oh, she's had at least three husbands, but... That's just the tip of the iceberg, I imagine. I do believe. Yes, she is. She's actually eating a donut. And the jam's gone all over her chin. That's what I call a real donut. Delicious. God knows what she's doing here. A lorry driver's pull-up a bit more her style. Or the most exclusive nightclub in London. Oh, oh Lord, she's seen me. So you know her, then? Oh, yes, very well. Selena, haven't seen you since Crofts last year. How the boys always doing? What on earth brings you to Bertram's, Bess? I'm staying here. I've just driven up from Land's End. Four hours and three quarters. Not bad. But I wouldn't expect you to be staying in a place like this. Well, someone told me I ought to try it, and they're right. I've just had the most marvellous donut. <laughs> Must rush now. Bye, Selena. What an extraordinary woman. I've known her since she was six. Nobody could ever do anything with her. But what could you expect from the Irish gentry? Oh. She ran away with a groom when she was 16. They managed to get her back in time, or perhaps not in time. They bought him off and got her safely married off to old Coniston. 30 years older than she was. Awful old rip. Quite dotty about her. And did it last? Oh, Lord, no. She went off with Johnny Sedgwick. Well, now, that might have lasted if he hadn't broken his neck steeplechasing. And after that, she married Ridgeway Becker. Wasn't he some sort of American yachting fanatic? That's the one. You see, you do read the papers. <laughs> anyway, that didn't last. And now here she's taken up with some racing car driver, a pole or something. I don't know whether she's actually married or not. Now, after she divorced Becker, she went back to calling herself Sedgwick. She goes about with the most extraordinary people. 
They say she takes drugs. One wonders if she's happy. Well, she's got packets of money, I suppose. Alimony and all that. And she's usually got a man, or several, in tow. But don't you think, perhaps, that men have always been an adventure to her, not a need? The really odd thing, you know, is what she's doing in Bertram's hotel. I mean, say, all these old army officers and clergymen. I'm perfectly certain she has some reason to be here. Hmm. But she's planning to meet somebody. Oh, oh, surely that's General Arlington. Oh, do excuse me, Jane. <laughs> As it happened, it wasn't General Arlington at all, but I seized the opportunity to steal away. As I reached the lift, Bess Sedgwick came out of it and suddenly stopped dead in astonishment. As the reception desk is over there, ladies. Uh, don't worry about your cases. We'll take care of them. Hold the lift, will you? I've forgotten something. Second floor, madam. But I was certain that it wasn't something she had forgotten that made her go back into the lift. She had seen something. Or someone. Was it the couple coming through the swing doors? A middle-aged woman and a girl? Mother and daughter? But somehow they didn't look like mother and daughter. Whoever they were, they were immediately scooped up by Selina's old friend, Colonel Luscombe. I was rather intrigued and thought that perhaps I wouldn't go up to my room just yet. Oh, how very good to see oh, you, Mrs. Carpenter. Hello. And my dear Elvira. Oh, splendid, splendid. Have a good flight? Yes, it was fine. No fog or anything like that? Oh, no. The flight was even five minutes ahead of schedule. <laughs> well, why don't we go and sit down? Or, or, or would you like to go and take a look at your rooms? Um, See that they're all right and all that? I'll go up and get things unpacked. Uh, perhaps, Elviera, you and the Colonel would like to have a little gossip. Well, we'll see you shortly then, Mrs. Carpenter. Very well. Now, my dear, let's go off and find a quiet corner. Would you like something to drink, my dear? A bit of lemon, perhaps, or an orange aid? I'll have a gin and vermouth, thanks. Oh, uh, gin and vermouth, oh, of course. Uh, Henry? Yes, sir? A uh, gin and vermouth, if you please, and a dry sherry. Yes, Colonel. Uh, it's rather an old-fashioned place, I'm afraid. No dancing or anything like that? No, I suppose not. Lots of old fogies here, I'm afraid. I ought to have settled for something a bit more modern. Still, it's only for a couple of nights. I'm sure it will be very nice. And how was Italy? Very nice, thank you, Uncle Derek. And that place you were at, the Contessa... What's her name? Not too grim? She's pretty strict, but I didn't let that worry me. <laughs> I suppose you must think me the most frightful old buffer. I'm afraid we don't know each other as well as we ought, seeing that I'm your guardian as well as your godfather. But uh, it's difficult for a man of my generation to know what a girl wants. Uh, these cousins of mine, the Melfords, do you think you'll like staying with them? Oh, I think so. I like Nancy well enough, and Cousin Mildred is rather a dear. That's all right, then. Tell me, have I any money? What? Yes, you've got quite a lot of money. Or at least you will have when you're 21. And who has it now? It's held in trust for you. And you are the trustee? I'm one of them. There are three. What happens if I die? Oh, come on, Elvira. You're not going to die. I was just wondering, 
Who would get my money if I did? I haven't the least idea. Well, this really is a pointless conversation. And who would get my money if I was married? Your husband, I suppose. Depends on the wording of the trust. But you're not married, so why concern yourself? One gin and vermouth, um, one sherry. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, sir. To your continuing good health, my dear. Do you ever see my mother? Sometimes. Not very often. I've never seen her. Not since I was two, at least. And I can't remember that. Where is she now? Abroad, I suppose. Where abroad? France, Portugal, I don't really know. Does she ever want to see me? I really don't know. It's, it's difficult to explain. Your mother is different from oh, other... I know w- that. I'm always reading about her in the papers, and I, I cut out all her photographs. She's rather a special person, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Famous and all that. Oh, she's that all right. But it's not always a happy thing to have a famous person for a mother. You can take that from me, because it's the truth. You don't like speaking the truth very much, do you, Colonel? What? But I think what you've just said is the truth. From where I was sitting, I could just hear what was being said by Colonel Luscombe and the unhappy young girl, while being close enough to the reception desk to observe what was going on there, so that I was in a very good position to see a very sinister, though rather handsome man in a black leather jacket sweep into the hall and stride across to Miss Gorringe at her desk. Not at all the kind of person you'd expect to see at Bertram's. Tell me, is Lady Sedgwick staying here? Yes, she is. Did you wish to speak to her? No, I simply wanted to leave this note for her. I wanted to make sure that this was the right hotel. You will see that she gets my note? Of course. Thank you. Well, really, these young fellows nowadays... You know who that was, don't you? No. Should I? That's Ladislaus Malinowski. The racing driver fellow? He was a world champion, two years running. He had a bad crash last year. He was quite badly injured, but I... I believe he's driving again now. It sounds like it. And then the swing doors opened again, and a white-haired elderly clergyman came in, much more the kind of person you'd expect to find at Bertram's. How nice to see you, Canon Penny, Father. Uh, you are well, I hope? Uh, well, this is Bertram's Hotel, is it not? That's right, Canon Penny, Father. Yes, and you have a room for me, I think. Uh, at least I, I, I did write... I believe. Oh, yes, we got your letter. Uh, We reserved number 19 for you, the room you had last time. Uh, Thank you, thank you. Um, For, uh, let me see, how how long was it? Uh, Four days. Ah, yes. I am on my way to Chadminster. Ah, I think that is where you have just come from, Canon Perry Father. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, <laughs> silly old man. No, I, I meant... Um, Lucerne. <laughs> yes, I'm on my way to Lucerne. And I shall stay there for one night. But uh, please, you must keep my room. I shall leave most of my things here and take only a small bag to Switzerland. You explained it all very clearly in your letter. Uh, did I? 
Oh, uh, that's all right, then. <laughs> I'll get the boy to take your luggage up to your room. I always wake up early nowadays. One of the blessings of old age, I suppose. Or is it a curse? Waking up at Bertram's hotel, I felt yet again that nothing had changed since I first stayed there all those years ago as a young girl. You rang, madam? Yes, I did. I would like to order breakfast. Yes, madam. I think two poached eggs would be very nice. And fresh rolls, madam? What a very pleasant idea. Tea or coffee, madam? Tea, if you please. Thank you, madam. Thank you. I'll see to it straight away. It was ten o'clock before I emerged from my room. As I did so, who should look out from the door of the room next but one to mine but Bess Sedgwick? She closed the door again softly. And since she was obviously keeping an eye open for someone, I decided not to take the lift, but to wait for a moment, so as not to miss anything. Oh, there you are at last, Derek. I didn't get your message until an hour ago. Where can we go and talk? Hmm? That's to say, without falling over some inquisitive old biddy every few seconds. Well, there is a sort of writing room, I believe, on the mezzanine floor. No, you'd best come in here. Quick, now, before the chambermaid gets peculiar ideas about us. Oh. I'd no idea you'd be staying here, Bess. I mean, I'd never have brought Elvira here if Darling, I'd known. Derek, don't look so worried. I'm not accusing you of trying to stage a sentimental reunion for me and my long-lost daughter. It's one of those things that happen in a place like this. But you must get Elvira out of here at once today. Oh, she's going. I only brought her here for a couple of nights. I'm taking her down to the Melfords tomorrow. God help her. The poor girl will probably expire out of sheer boredom. <laughs> Though after the time she must have had in Italy, she might find them wildly thrilling. Look, Bess, I didn't expect to find you here, but don't you think it might be meant in some kind of way? I hope you're not saying what I think you're saying. Well, you are her mother, after all. Of course I'm her mother. And what good has that fact ever been to either of us, or ever will be? You can't be sure. It won't work, Derek. It's no good. It won't work. And it might be dangerous. Oh, come now, Bess, you can't mean it's it. It's always been dangerous. And running into danger has always been a habit with me. No, not a habit, more like an addiction. <sighs> like that nice little dollop of heroin that addicts have to take to make life seem brightly coloured and worth living. <sighs> danger is my drug. But people who live as I do can be a source of harm to others. Oh, for goodness sake, Bess. Don't be an obstinate old fool, Derek. You'll keep that girl well away from me. Bring up the Melfords and take her down there today. You're making a mistake. She asked where you were. I told her you were abroad. Well, so I shall be in another twelve hours. Now run along and do as I say. Good morning, Count Penifather. Can I get you a taxi? Uh, taxi? Well, I suppose that might be best. Taxi! And uh, where would you be going to? Uh, going to... Oh, dear. Uh, it's quite slipped out of my mind. I suppose you don't happen, though. I'm afraid not, Father. No, I suppose you wouldn't. Where to, sir? Ah, uh, that's just the difficulty. I, I've no idea. Got to be going somewhere, sir. Oh, very well. Well, take me to, um, the British Museum. Right, you are, sir. In you go, Father. Uh, Ah. 
There is a pleasant little coal fire in the writing room on the ground floor, and I thought that I would sit there for a few minutes before venturing out. The backs of the chairs are very high, and I was hidden from the view of Bess Sedgwick when she came in. She went and sat in the chair by the open window, and to my great surprise, began a conversation with the doorman, who was standing just outside. So this is where you've ended up, Michael Gorman. What on earth brought you to this place? I'm sorry, madam. I didn't quite.、Uh... Don't you know me, Mickey? Good Lord! If it isn't little Bessie, and after all these years, nobody but you ever called me Bessie. It's a revolting name. <laughs> no, stop staring at me. Keep looking straight ahead, as if waiting for a taxi to come. What have you been doing all this long time? Ah,、uh, this and that. I've not been in the news like you, Bessie. <laughs> I've worn better than you have, Mickey. You drink too much. You always did. You've worn well because you've always been in the money. Money wouldn't have done you any good. You'd have drunk even more and gone to the dogs completely. How did you ever get taken on at this place? They like a commissionaire to have a lot of medals. All genuine, are they? Sure, they're genuine. Why shouldn't they be? No reason. You always had courage. You've always been a good fighter. I'm sure the army suited you. Why did you ever leave it?、Oh, the army's all very well when there's a war on, but it's no good in peacetime. It's strange seeing you again after all these years. I've never forgotten you, Bessie. A lovely girl you were. A damn fool of a girl. That's what I was. Well, that's true. Now you hadn't much sense. If you had, you wouldn't have taken up with me. I still remember Ballygall and Bessie. Many's the time I thought of writing to you. And just what do you mean by that? I was just saying that I hadn't forgotten. If you mean what I'm thinking, I'll give you a piece of advice. Any trouble from you, and I'll shoot you as easily as I'd shoot a rat. I believe you'd do just that. In Ballygowlin, they paid you to keep your mouth shut and paid you damn well. You'll get no money from me. It'd be a romantic story for the Sunday papers. I'm warning you, Mickey Gorman. <laughs> I was just joking. I know when to keep my mouth shut. I decided that the time had come for me to leave. I crept out of the writing room and went straight outside. Good morning, madam. And what can I do for you? Would you like me to get you a taxi? Well, I was rather thinking of walking down to Piccadilly and catching a bus to Kensington High Street. Oh, you'll be wanting a taxi, ma'am. It's very dangerous springing on a bus when you're getting on in life. Jerk you off your feet, they do. I'll whistle you along a taxi, and you'll go where you wish, like a queen. Sorry to drop in on you without warning or anything. Do you think your mother heard me come in? No, I'm sure she didn't. She's in her bedroom and the door's closed. But why all the secrecy, Alvera? Look, Bridget, there's something terribly important I have to do, and you've got to help me. I will if I can. What is it? A map? No. As a matter of fact, it isn't. I've got to get away to Ireland for twenty-four hours, and I want you to cover for me. To Ireland? Why? I can't tell you about it now. There's no time. I've got to meet my guardian, Colonel Luscombe, for lunch at Prunier's at half past one. I'm being taken down to the Melfords today. I'm to live with them until I'm twenty-one. How perfectly ghastly!、Mm, Cousin Mildred is frightfully easy to deceive. 
It's arranged I'm to come up for classes and things and go to museums and galleries. Oh. We'll manage all sorts of things. <laughs> we manage well enough in Italy. <laughs> Do you ever hear from Guido? Oh, yes. He wrote me a long letter signed Ginevra as though he was a girlfriend. <laughs> But look, we've got a lot to do and no time to do it in, so just listen. I'm coming back up to town tomorrow for an appointment with a dentist. That's easy. I can put it off by telephone, or you can from here. Then about midday, I want you to ring up the Melfords, pretending to be your mother, and say that the dentist wants to see me again the next day, and so I'm staying with you here. That ought to be easy enough. But supposing you're not back from Ireland the next day? Well, then you have to do some more ringing up, and we'll have lots of time to think of something before then. I suppose so. What's worrying me now is money. You haven't got any, I suppose. Only about two pounds. Well, that's not going to buy an air ticket to Ireland. It's such a bore not having any money. Have you ever pawned anything, Bridget? Never. I don't think I'd know how to. And in any case, I don't think I've got anything that would be much use to a pawnbroker. But your mother must have some jewellery somewhere. Well, yes, she has, but I don't think we can ask her to help. But we could pinch something, perhaps. Oh, Vera, I don't think we could do that. I bet she'd never notice. Oh. We could get it back before she missed it. Oh, well. We'll just have to go to Mr Bollard. Who's Mr Bollard? Oh, he's sort of a family jeweller. I take my watch there whenever I want it mended. He's known me since I was a child. We'd better go right away. Where is this Mr Bollard, anyway? Bond Street. What if I really get run over? Of course you won't get run over. You're quite nippy on your feet, and London traffic is used to pulling up suddenly. You'll be all right. I suppose so. We should synchronise our watches. Zero hour will be 25 past exactly. You won't let me down, will you, Bridget? I won't let you down, Elvira. I just wish I didn't have to do it. It's always such a pleasure to see you, Miss Blake. On one of your rare visits up to town... What can I do for you? It's this little watch of mine. Oh. It seems to be going slow. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we can attend to that. Though it may take a day or two. Oh, that's all right. I've got another one. <laughs> and there's something else. My guardian, Colonel Luscombe, has asked what I should like for a Christmas present. Oh. He suggested that I should call in here and look at a few things. Well, of course. What did you have in mind, Miss Blaker? Um, a brooch or a bracelet, perhaps? I I'm not certain. Well, let me show you a few of our brooches. Here we are. Oh, and there might be something among these bracelets that might take your fancy. There are so many pretty things. I'm quite sport for choice. Oh. I love that bracelet. And that one. And this brooch is lovely. Yes. Well, perhaps I should make a note of the items that you like. Oh. The Colonel might wish to decide which of them would be the most suitable. So that it would be a surprise. Yes, yes I'd like that. Good Lord. What on earth's going on? Oh, stupid girl rushing into the road like that. Might have been a serious accident. She might have been killed. I've just realised how late it is. I must rush. Oh. I've got to catch my train back to the country. Now, you won't forget the things I liked, will you, Mr Bollard? No. I expect my guardian will call in a day or two. Of course, Miss Blake. Yeah, I've made a note of them. Don't ever ask me to do anything like that again. I thought I was going to be killed. And I've torn a hole in my stocking. Never mind. Take a look at this. 
Oh, there's real diamonds. Now, Bridget, you've got to get along to that pawn shop I showed you and see how much you can get for this. You mustn't accept less than 300. But Mr. Bollard is sure to notice that it's gone. Won't he think you've taken it? What if they go to the police? They won't go to the police. Certainly not if they think I took it. I don't understand. They know I'm going to come into a lot of money, so they certainly won't make a scandal. It's in their best interest to keep quiet. Now, when you've got the money, you must go to Aer Lingus and get me a ticket to Dublin. I wish you'd tell me what all this is about. What exactly is it you've got to do? I can't talk about it, Bridget. I really can't. But it is terribly, terribly important. It must be if you're taking all these risks. And if you can't even tell me about it. It's something which nobody must ever know about. I've got to find out about something. Something that will affect the whole of the rest of my life. Now, don't ask me any more questions. Just go and get me that ticket. It really is a matter of life and death. I was having two weeks' holiday in town at Bertram's Hotel, which did not seem to have changed since I first went there when I was a child. I had met friends I had not seen for years, like Selina Hazy and dear Canon Pennyfather. And I had discovered, quite by chance, of course, the most extraordinary things about some of the people staying there. We present June Whitfield as Miss Marple in Agatha Christie's At Bertram's Hotel. I had a most enjoyable morning shopping at Robinson and Cleaver's. It is so difficult to find proper glass cloths nowadays. You are offered things decorated with radishes or lobsters or the Eiffel Tower, quite inappropriate. But at Robinson and Cleaver, they had plain cloths with a simple red border. Just what I had been looking for. And from there, I took a bus to the Army and Navy stores, where dear Aunt Helen used to buy her groceries, and where, if I didn't fidget too much, I would be taken up to the fourth floor to be rewarded with strawberries and cream. The restaurant was still there, changed almost beyond recognition, and there was Bess Sedgwick again, whom I hadn't seen in the flesh until the day before, and now I seemed to be running into her everywhere. And she was with the strange young man with the hawk-like face who had arrived so dramatically at Bertram's hotel. They were talking very earnestly together, and I couldn't help wanting to know what they were saying to one another, so I set off towards the stationery department, and as I passed by their table... I just happened to drop my handbag. What about the weather? It should be okay. No fog. So you're all set for Lucerne? The plane leaves at 9.40. And then, somehow, I managed to drop my keys so that I was able to hear a little more. Whatever possessed you to come to Bertram's yesterday, you shouldn't have come near the place. Why should I not? I asked if you were staying there, and everyone knows we're close friends. That's not the point. Bertram's is all right for me, but you stand out like a sore thumb. You must have had some reason to go there. I came because you were there. That is all. I don't believe you. And then a waitress came and helped me to pick up my belongings, and I was only able to hear one more thing. You're such a liar. I don't trust you an inch. The following evening, I was having dinner early in the restaurant at Bertram's. I always find that eating late disagrees with me nowadays. 
and I noticed Canon Pennyfather looking anxiously at his watch. Suddenly he got up and rushed out. Yes, Father, can I get you a taxi? Yes, 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 as quickly as possible, if you please. I want to go to Gloucester Road Air Terminal. Good evening, sir. How can I help you? Oh, uh, well, I'm going to uh, Lucerne. Yes, here is my ticket. I beg your pardon, sir, but this seems to be the wrong ticket. Oh, no, no, I, I assure you, young lady, it's the right ticket. I, I'm flying to Lucerne by the 9.30 flight. But this ticket is for Wednesday the 18th. Yeah, that's right, the conference is tomorrow. I'm sorry, sir, but today is the 19th. Yeah, but it can't be. I assure you that it is, sir. But that means that the conference at Lucerne took place today. Well, I missed it. What on earth am I to do? And so the poor man went out into the Cromwell Road and had a very disagreeable curry meal and then, totally at a loose end, wandered into a cinema where they were showing a highly unsuitable film entitled The Walls of Jericho, which he had thought might have something to do with the book of Joshua. It really was quite mystifying. Oh, was that woman in the stocking supposed to be Ray Habib Harlot, perhaps? <laughs> I suppose it has broadened my horizon a little. <sighs> I'd better find somewhere to stay. <laughs> of course, I still have my room at Bertram's Hotel. <laughs> I had Good Lord, I've still got the key in my pocket. <laughs> it must have been nearly midnight when Canon Pennyfather returned to the hotel, and no one was about. Oh, dear, dear me. Bertram's appears to have shut up for the night, but it must be much later than I thought. How on earth am I to get in? But he found that his key also opened the door to the street, and he let himself in and walked up the stairs to his room, still rather bemused by what had happened. But... It isn't possible. What's happening? I must be going out of my mind. Help me! Help! One of the more curious niceties about the service at Bertram's Hotel is that your morning newspaper is actually ironed before being delivered to your room. And it was from the pristine pages of the Times the following morning that I read of the robbery of the Irish mail train. Hey, what the hell's going on? What's happened? The goods train's been derailed up ahead. You'd better come and see for yourself. Could be a long job. The driver and the guard had both of them climbed down from the train to see what was happening, and they had both been coshed on the back of the head. And then men dressed in railway uniforms went along the corridors, reassuring the passengers that they had nothing to worry about. The line's blocked a few hundred yards ahead. Uh, nothing to worry about. Ten minutes delay, not much more. And meanwhile, men in balaclava helmets were unloading the mailbags. Most of the passengers were sound asleep, of course. 
but one lady thought she recognised a white-haired old clergyman getting into the train. Another passenger reported hearing the sound of a racing car, and there were rumours of an elderly Morris Oxford chugging away from the scene of the crime. Kensington 1961. Hello. Bridget, is that you? Elvira? Yes. Has everything been all right? No. It's been perfectly awful. Your cousin, Mrs. Melford, rang up Mum yesterday afternoon. What? About me? Yes. I thought I'd done it so well when I rang her about your having to go to your dentist. But it seems she thought there might be something really wrong, abscesses or something. So she rang him up herself and found you'd never been there at all. So then she rang up here and, unfortunately, Mummy was right by the telephone. And naturally, she didn't know anything about it and said you certainly weren't staying here. I didn't know what to do. So what did you say? I had to pretend to know nothing about it. I said I thought you'd said something about going to see some old friends in Wimbledon. Why Wimbledon, for God's sake? It was the first place that came into my head. Oh, well, I suppose I'll just have to cook up something. An old governess or something of the sort. Did you get to Ireland? Oh, yes, I got to Ireland. Was it all right? I found out what I wanted to know. You sound pretty grim about it. I feel pretty grim. Is there anything I can do to help? Nobody can help me, really. It's something I have to do myself. I'd hoped that something wasn't true, but now I know that it is. I don't know what to do about it. Are you in danger, Elvira? Why do you have to make such a melodramatic act of it all? I'll have to be careful, that's all. Elvira... What are you going to do about that bracelet you stole from Mr. Bollard? It's all right. I've arranged to get money from someone so I can go and get it out of the pawn shop. Then I shall take it back. Miss Elvira, I didn't expect to see you so soon. I'm afraid your watch isn't ready yet. Oh, I didn't come about the watch, Mr. Bollard. I came to apologise. A dreadful thing happened, I'm afraid. Do you remember that when I came in here, I was looking at things for my Christmas present from my guardian, and there was an accident outside in the street? Oh, yes. Yes, A young girl narrowly escaped being run over, as I recall. Well, I suppose I must have been distracted by what happened. I had a bracelet in my hand, and I put it into the pocket of my suit without thinking. I didn't find it until this morning, so I rushed along at once to bring it back. I'm so terribly sorry. I don't know how I came to do such an idiotic thing. Well, that's very good of you, Miss Elvira. I suppose you thought someone had stolen it. We had discovered its loss. Thank you for bringing it back so promptly. Thank you for being so nice about it. I felt simply awful when I found it. Don't worry yourself about it. (laughs) But don't make a habit of it. (laughs) No, I shall be terribly careful in the future. Now, you let me know about the watch, then. I'll write to you as soon as it's ready. Goodbye, then. Do you think she really did intend to take it, Mr. Bollard? Oh, yes, most certainly. But I didn't expect her to bring it back. Just as well you didn't notify the police. Oh, I'd never have done that, Miss Motley. Far too valuable a customer. I wonder how old she is. 17 or 18, I suppose. Hmm... She's probably got herself into a jam of some kind. But she must be rolling in money. Uh, You may be an heiress to a great fortune, but at that age you can't always get your hands on it. And that can turn a perfectly respectable girl into someone who'll take risks. Often quite dangerous risks. (laughs) Miss Blake, 
Well, this is certainly a surprise. Come and sit down. Thank you. Well, the last time I saw you must have been when you were about 11. I suppose that I ought to have written to you, Mr Edgerton. But seeing as I was in London, I thought I might as well drop in. You've been away in Italy, isn't that so, at a finishing school? Yes, with Countess Martinelli. But I've left there for good now. I'm living in Kent with the Melfords, until I make up my mind what to do with my life. What do you mean, a university? Oh, I'd never be clever enough. I suppose that you'd have to agree to whatever I wanted to do. Well, I'm one of your guardians, yes, under the terms of your father's will. And your solicitor, too, if it comes to that. And I'll always be happy to give you what advice and help I can. Is anything worrying you? No, not really. But you see, I don't actually know anything. Nobody's ever told me. How old are you now, Elvira? Sixteen or is it seventeen? I'm nearly twenty. Are you? I'd no idea. And how much do you know about yourself? I mean, your family circumstances. Well, I know that my father died when I was five and that my mother had run away with someone when I was about two. I don't really remember my father. He was very old and had his leg up on a chair. I was rather scared of him. After he died, I lived with a cousin of his. But she died, and so I went to live with Uncle Derek and his sister. But then she died, and I was sent to Italy. And now I'm living with the Melfords. But you're happy there. I've only been there a few days. They seem pretty dull. But what I really want to know is how much money I've got. Mm, quite a lot, as it happens. Your father was a very rich man. You were his only child. He left all his personal property, which was considerable to you. You're a very rich young woman. Or will be when you're 21. You mean I'm not rich now? Well, the money isn't yours to dispose of until you're 21. Or you marry. And who gets it if I die? Well, as things stand, it would go to your next of kin. And if I were to make a will? I'm afraid that you cannot make a will until you're 21. But if I was married, I suppose my husband would get the money. That is so. But as things stand, the money would go to my next of kin. That's my mother, I suppose. Yes, that is correct. I don't even know my mother. What's she like? She's a very remarkable woman. Didn't she ever want to see me? Oh, I'm sure she did. But having made, in certain ways, rather a mess of her own life, she may have thought it was better for you that you should be brought up quite apart from her. Do you actually know that she thinks that? No, I really don't know anything about it. Thank you, Mr Edgerton. It's very kind of you to have told me all this. Well, I think perhaps that someone should have told you about your situation before. It's humiliating not to know things. Uncle Derek thinks I'm just a child. Well, he's not a very young man. <laughs> Neither am I, for that matter. Yes. But you don't think I'm a child, do you? I expect you know more about girls than Uncle Derek does. He's only lived with his sister. Much Wenlock 253. Is that Colonel Luscombe? Yes, Luscombe, here. I have Mr. Richard Edgerton on the line oh. for you. Uh, please put him through. Hello, Derek. Richard. I've just had a visit from your ward. From Elvira? Yes, and I thought perhaps I should have a word with you. Well, why on earth did she come to you? She's not in any trouble. No, I wouldn't say so. She's even rather pleased with herself. She wanted to know about her financial position. You didn't tell her, I hope. Well, why not? What's the point of secrecy? I don't think a girl of her age ought to know that she's coming into such a large amount of money. Money is a responsibility. I think she ought to be prepared for it. But she's so much of a child still. I wouldn't describe her that way. Who's the boyfriend? I beg your pardon. I said, who's the boyfriend? There's someone in the offing, isn't there? Nothing of the sort. What on earth makes you think that? Nothing that she actually said, but I've got some experience, you know. I think you'll find there is a boyfriend. Well, I can assure you that you're quite wrong. I should know if there's anything of that sort going on. 
She's been very assiduously looked after. The ingenuity of the young female of the species is beyond anything you could conjecture. You keep an eye on her, Derek. Make a few inquiries as to what she's been up to. Nonsense. She's just a sweet, simple girl. What you don't know about sweet, simple girls would fill an album, Derek. But what's really been worrying me was one of her other questions. Hmm? Why is she so anxious to know who'd inherit her money if she dies? I must admit she asked me the very same question. Did she now? Why should her mind run on early death? Oh, I wish Bess would get in touch with the girl. Have you been talking to Bess on the subject? Well, yes, I did. I ran across her by chance in Bertram's hotel. I tried to get her to see Elvira, but she refused, point blank. She more or less said that... She wasn't a safe person for the girl to know. Well, looked at from that point of view, I don't suppose she is. She's mixed up with that racing driver fellow, isn't she? I've heard rumours. Bess's mm, friends can be strong meat. Always been her own worst enemy. Well, I suppose that's one way of putting it. Well, sorry to have bothered you, Derek, but keep a lookout for undesirables in the background. And don't say you haven't been warned. Bertram's Hotel. I would like to speak to Miss Gorringe, please. Just a moment. Who is calling, please? My name is Mrs. McRae. I am Canon Pennyfather's housekeeper. One moment, please. Miss Gorringe here. How can I help you? My name is Mrs. McRae. I am Canon Pennyfather's housekeeper. Can you tell me, uh, is he still staying at the hotel? I'm so glad you've telephoned, Mrs. McRae. We've been rather worried as to what we ought to do. Why? What's the matter? Has something happened to him? Oh, no, 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 nothing like that. But uh, we expected him back from Lucerne on Friday or Saturday. And I expected him back here last night. That's why I'm ringing you. Do you mean to say he hasn't returned to the hotel? No, he hasn't. His room was booked until yesterday, and, and all his things are still here. Well, we know that he's inclined to be a little forgetful. Yes, I'm afraid he is. But, you see, it poses quite a problem for us. We're fully booked, and his room is required for another guest. Uh, you have no idea where he might be? Well, no, I haven't. I um, I think I'd better get in touch with Archdeacon Simmons and ask him to come and see you. Of course, I couldn't help noticing the Archdeacon when he came into Bertram's Adele. Such a distinguished-looking man. He marched straight up to the reception desk and had a long and rather detailed conversation with Miss Gorringe. Oh, no, there's no doubt about it at all. He left here on the 19th in the early evening and took a taxi to the air terminal. And uh, did he have any luggage with him? Oh, just a small BEA travelling bag. Everything else was left in his room. His luggage is in the porter's office now. And so the archdeacon went into one of the hotel telephone kiosks and spent a considerable amount of time and money making a great many calls and then he rushed off to catch the last train to Chadminster. I'm sorry to say that I've had very little success so far, Mrs. McRae. I've established that Canon Pennyfather left the hotel in the early evening, but after that he... well, he seems to have simply disappeared. You mean he didn't get to Lucerne? No, he never turned up there. I've spoken to an old friend of his, Dr. Weisgarten, who was there, and several people remarked on Canon Pennyfather's absence. He didn't send a message to the conference or anything like that? Nothing at all. 
You don't suppose he took the wrong plane? <laughs> I suppose with Penny Father almost anything is possible, <laughs> but if he had, surely we would have heard by now. Oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Simmons. I don't know why it didn't occur to me before. According to Bertram's hotel, he left there on the 19th. Yes, at about 6.30 in the evening. But that can't be right. The conference in Lucerne was on the 19th. You're sure of that? Quite certain. Then he quite simply got his dates wrong. And when he got to the air terminal, they would have told him his ticket was for the previous day. And he'd missed the conference. So what would he do then? Go back to his hotel. He still had his key with him. They told me he'd forgotten to hand it in, but he never arrived back at Bertram's. Or did he? <laughs> Nobody seems to have seen him there, so what happened to him on the way? He could have met someone, I suppose. Well, it's perfectly possible. Some old friend he hadn't seen for a long time, he could have gone back and stayed the night. But he could scarcely have stayed with him for three days and forgotten that his luggage was still in the hotel. He'd have run up about it or gone round to collect it. Three days' silence? That's what's so inexplicable. He might have met with an accident. Yes, Mrs. McRae, I fear that's quite possible. We should try the hospitals. But surely we'd have heard by now if anything had happened to him. He had his cards on him and all sorts of things in his wallet that would say who he was and give his address. You know, I think there's only one thing for it. We've got to go to the police. Good morning, Inspector Campbell. Morning, sir. You've, uh, you've got some disappearance case on hand, I gather. You care to tell me about it? Uh, yes, sir. A canon penny father, elderly clergyman. Doesn't sound very exciting. No, sir, it isn't. What do you look like? Oh, well, there's a description here somewhere. Um, yeah, here it is. Height, five feet eight inches. Large thatch of white hair, scholarly stoop. Mm, and I understand he disappeared from Bertram's Hotel. Yes, sir, on uh, November the 19th. The 19th? And they've just reported it? <laughs> Took their time about it, didn't they? <laughs> well, I think there was a general feeling that he would just turn up. Mm. Any idea what's behind it? Mm. Has he gone off with one of the church warden's wives, do you suppose? <laughs> Was he embezzled church funds? Or is he the sort of absent-minded chap who goes in for forgetting where he is? Oh, the latter, I should think. He's done it before. What? Disappear from a respectable West End hotel? No, not exactly that. But he's not always returned home when he was expected. Oh. Occasionally he's turned up to stay with friends on a day they hadn't asked him, or not turned up on the date when they had. That sort of thing. Mm, sounds fair enough. And he disappeared on November the 19th. Mm. He was supposed to be attending a conference at... Um, uh, uh, I've got it here somewhere... Yes, um, at uh, Lucerne, Society of Biblical Historical Studies. And the old boy, uh, you did say he was an old boy. Uh, very, sir. So the old boy didn't turn up? That's right, sir. Was last heard of leaving the hotel for the air terminal. Uh, doesn't sound as if he'd gone off with a choir boy. <laughs> <laughs> I expect he'll turn up all right, uh, but we're looking into it, of course. Um, are you particularly interested in the case, sir? No, not in the case itself. Now, what really intrigues me is two things. First, the date on which it happened. The date? Hmm. November the 19th. I don't see... Oh, what... come on, Campbell. Oh, uh, the night the Irish mail was robbed. Mm. But what could that possibly have to do with him? I don't know. Not yet. 
except that there was a report of an elderly white-haired clergyman getting down from the train at the time of the robbery. Oh, but surely you're not suggesting that Well, I'm cannon... not suggesting anything at this stage. I'm just indulging in a little speculation. The attack on the Irish mail was the most recent of a series of really big robberies. Bank hold-ups, payroll snatches, thefts of consignments of diamonds. Mm. They've been cropping up at a rate of one a month. You think they're connected in some way? I'm pretty certain that they are. Each robbery suggests the same kind of careful planning. Nothing's left to chance. There's clearly a highly intelligent and imaginative mind behind it all. But I still don't see how Canon Pennyfather fits into it. All right, let me give you an instance. You remember the London and Metropolitan Bank hold-up in um, Carmely Street? Uh, I was on leave at the time, but I, I certainly heard about it. Uh, well, we put out an appeal to the public, asking for information about any cars seen in the neighbourhood at the time of the crime. And we got a tremendous response. Far too tremendous as it happens. About 150 pieces of misleading information. <laughs> but nothing that led anywhere. Well, I, I'm coming to that. Eventually, we managed to narrow them down to seven cars that might have been concerned in the robbery. But there was one car that was reported by a probation officer. A Morris Oxford Black Saloon, number CMG 265. And he said it was being driven by a Mr Justice Ludgrove. Mm. Oh, he'd seen his picture in the papers over the Holt abduction business. Mm, not a face easily forgotten. A and was it him? Oh, no. He was in court at the time. But he does have a black Morris Oxford. But its number is CMG 256, not CMG 265. Uh, I'm sorry, but I, I don't see uh, what... Well, it's hard to know what there is to see. But it's rather a coincidence that there should be a Morris Oxford car of the right colour with a number just one digit wrong and the man driving it closely resembling the owner of the car. And you say that Justice Ludgrove was in court at the time? Yes, he was. And there's my second point. He was staying up in town that night. And do you know where he was staying? Bertram's Hotel. Uh, I, I just don't get it. Neither do I. <laughs> I don't know what there is to get. There was a similar case in connection with the jewellery business at Brighton. Oh, uh, Pearson's? Yes. Mm. There was some old admiral or other... Well, I've forgotten his name now. Some woman identified him most positively as having been at the scene of the crime. And he wasn't? No. He was up in London that night. Went up for some naval dinner or other. And he stayed overnight? Yes, he did. And do you know where? Bertram's Hotel. Uh. Well, it's probably just a coincidence. But it makes you think, doesn't it? My days at Bertram's were beginning to fall into something of a routine. In the mornings, I would visit the glass and china departments of the large West End stores. I suppose that perhaps I should have made rather a greater effort to go to picture galleries and museums, but somehow they didn't seem to interest me any more. I did venture into Madame Tussauds, which always used to be Aunt Helen's great treat, but I no longer knew who the waxworks were supposed to represent. They certainly weren't the kinds of people one would have heard of in St. Mary Mead. After a little nap at lunchtime, I would venture a little further afield on a series of carefully planned excursions to places I had known as a girl. I went to Battersea to take a sentimental look at Princess Terrace, where my old governess used to live, but the house was no longer there. In a street close to the park, I couldn't help noticing a racing car of some foreign make, which looked just like the one I had seen parked outside Bertram's hotel. Fan to 266. 
Fan, like poor Fanny Goldring, who had the most frightful stutter. Two two six six. I had rather overestimated my strength and greatly needed to sit down for a while, so I decided that I would take tea at the cafe in the park. I collected a tray with a pot of tea and two sponge cakes, and while I was looking round for a table, I caught sight of Malinowski, the racing driver, and Bess Sedgwick talking to one another in a corner. <laughs> First the army and navy stores are now here. What strange places these people choose for their rendezvous! There wasn't a table free that was very close to them, but fortunately I had a strong pair of spectacles in my bag, so that I was able to get a closer look at them. And then I saw I'd been mistaken. It was not Bess Sedgwick who was with Malinowski, but her daughter, the girl I had seen with Colonel Luscombe at Bertram's hotel. They were bent forward over the table so that their heads were almost touching. The girl was obviously desperately in love with him, as only the young can be in love. First the mother, now the daughter. Bad all through. What does it mean? Is that lovely, unhappy young girl proposing to run away with that sinister-looking creature with a face like a bird of prey? My nephew Raymond West, he's quite a famous novelist, you know, had paid for me to have a two-week holiday at Bertram's Hotel, a place I always used to stay in when I was a young girl. At first, I was so happy to find that nothing had changed there at all, but after a while, I began to grow a little uneasy. Wasn't Bertram's perhaps a little too good to be true? And what had happened to my old friend Canon Pennyfather, who had not been seen for well over a week? We present June Whitfield as Miss Marple, and Frederick Yeager as Chief Inspector Davy, in Agatha Christie's At Bertram's Hotel. After a while, one becomes so accustomed to the guests at Bertram's, either they are retired generals or the less affluent members of the aristocracy, or elderly clergymen, or of course middle-aged tourists from America, that anyone even remotely out of the ordinary comes quite as a surprise. That was why the racing driver Malinowski had caused such a stir. And that was why I couldn't help noticing a grey-haired, sun-tanned, rather bovine-looking man in his late fifties making his way to the reception desk. With him was a man in his thirties with a neat little moustache. Surely they couldn't have been policemen. I think it would be best if you were to take the lead, Campbell. Throw your weight about a bit. Oh, if you say so, Chief Inspector. I'd take care not to call me sir. Let them think I'm your sergeant. And what can I do for you, gentlemen?、Uh, do you have a reservation, Inspector Campbell, C.I.D.? We'd like a word, if we may, about Canon Pennyfather. Ah,、uh, uh, yes, uh, uh, of course.、Uh, perhaps it would be best if we went into the office.、Uh, we can talk more easily there. Ah, nice place you've got here. 
Good old-fashioned comfort. We pride ourselves on making our visitors comfortable. (laughs) Now, um, what can I tell you about Canon Pennyfather? I've got a report made by Sergeant Waddell on the good gentleman's disappearance, but I'd like to hear from you exactly what happened, Miss Gorringe. I don't think that Canon Pennyfather has really disappeared in the sense in which one would usually use that word. How do you mean, madam? Well, I rather think you know that he's just met someone somewhere, an old friend or colleague, perhaps, and has gone off with him to a scholarly meeting or something of the kind on the continent. He is so very vague. Mm, You've known him for some time. Oh, yes, he's been coming here to stay for at least six or seven years now. Mm. Ah, you've been here for some time yourself, madam. I have been at Bertram's Hotel for 14 years. And Canon Pennyfather usually stays here when he's in London, is that right? Oh, yes, he always comes to us. He writes well beforehand to reserve his room. He is much less vague on paper than he is in real life. (laughs) He asked for a room from the 17th to the 21st. He was going to Lucerne, I understand. Yes, to some uh, theological conference or other, I believe. Hmm. And uh, when did you begin to get worried about him? Well, I wasn't worried about him at all at first, but when I realised that he hadn't come back and that the Honourable Mrs Saunders was booked into his room on the 23rd, she always has that room. She is most insistent. Well, it made things rather awkward. And then when his housekeeper rang up, I began to wonder what could have happened to him. And did you speak to his housekeeper, Mrs uh, McRae, I believe her name is? Several times on the telephone. Uh-huh. I believe that she and Archdeacon got in touch with near friends and relations, but they had no idea where the canon was. And since he was expecting the archdeacon to stay with him, it certainly seemed very odd. In fact, it still does that he should not have returned home. Oh, yes, but you knew that he was pretty absent-minded. And now I understand from the archdeacon that he never went to this conference he was supposed to be attending. Do you know whether he ever sent any message to the people in Lucerne to say that he couldn't go? I don't think so. Not from here, at any rate. But I don't actually know anything about the conference. I'm only really concerned about our side of the matter. And now it has got into the evening papers. The fact that he's missing, I mean. I only hope that the press don't get on to the fact that he was staying here. I wouldn't like to see reporters in the hotel. Our guests would not care for that at all. If you can keep them off us, we should be so very grateful. I mean, it's not as if he had disappeared from here. His luggage is still here. It's still in the baggage room. If he didn't go to Lucerne, do you think he may have been run over? Or something like that? As far as we know, nothing of the kind has happened to him. It does seem very curious. I mean, it makes one wonder where he could have gone and and why. Now, I understand that Canon Pennyfather left about 6.30 in the evening of Thursday the 19th. He had with him a small overnight bag and he directed the commissionaire to tell the driver to take him to the air terminal. Yes, that is correct. Mm. Well, it's nice to get the facts straight, isn't it? So he went off with his little B-O-A-C bag. B-O-A-C, B-E-A, something of the sort. Um, So he went off with his little bag and he never came back. Yes, exactly. So, you see, I I really cannot help you. Well, it doesn't seem as if you could, but someone else might be able to. I don't understand you, Sergeant. Someone else? One of the staff, perhaps. I don't think there is anyone who knows anything that I haven't told you, or they would certainly have reported it to me. Well, perhaps they might, and then again, perhaps they mightn't. Or it may have been something nobody thought worth reporting. It could have just been some chance thing that might give one a clue. He might have said something like, 
I'm going to stay next week with a niece of mine for her daughter's confirmation. <laughs> with absent-minded people, you know, little clues like that can be a great help. They show what was in a person's mind. I see what you mean, of course, but it does seem a little unlikely. Oh, you never know your luck. Uh, did you notice any of your guests here talking to Canon Pennyfather? Oh, yes. I saw him talking to Lady Selina Hazy, and I noticed him having a chat with the Bishop of Norwich. They were at Oxford together, I believe. You see, he might have mentioned something to one of them. Is there anyone who knew him still staying in the hotel? Well, there's Colonel Radley, but I can't imagine he would be of much use to you. He really is quite remarkably deaf. Hmm. And there's an old lady who came up from the country I noticed him talking to once or twice. Miss Marple, her name is. Well, we could make a start there, perhaps. Uh, and uh, there's a chambermaid, I suppose. Oh, uh, yes, but she has already been interviewed by Sergeant Waddell. Yes, I know, but not from this angle, Miss Gorringe. Anyone else? How about the people who waited on him at the table? Well, there's Henry, of course. Who's Henry? Henry has been with us for many years. Well, you must have noticed him serving tea when you ah. came in. <laughs> oh, yes. Quite a character. I don't know what we should do without Henry. He really is wonderful. He sets the tone of the place, you know. And he was always most attentive to Canon Penny, Father. Well, perhaps he might serve the tea to us. <laughs> I quite fancy a muffin. <laughs> ah, Miss Gorringe. I hope I'm not disturbing you. These two gentlemen are from Scotland Yard, Mr. Humphreys. Detective Inspector Campbell. Uh, yes, of course. Uh, to discuss the matter of Canon Pennyfather, I presume. Mm -hmm. A most extraordinary business. I hope that nothing has happened to the poor old chap. Such a dear old gentleman. Uh, one of the old school. You seem to have quite a lot of the old school here. <laughs> I suppose we do, yes. <laughs> In many ways, we're quite a survival. We have our regulars. The same people come back year after year, particularly from America, Boston and Washington. They like our English atmosphere. You're quite certain that no message came here from the cannon. I mean, it might have been taken by someone who forgot to write it down and pass it on. Telephone messages are always taken down most carefully. Ah. I cannot conceive it possible that a message would not have been passed on to me or to the appropriate person on duty. <clears throat> We've really answered all these questions before, you know, Inspector. We gave all the information at our disposal to your sergeant. Mm, yes, but you see, Mr Humphreys, things have begun to look rather serious. It sounds a bit more than absent-mindedness. Uh, that's why I thought it would be a good idea if we could have a word with some of the people here who knew Canon Pennyfather. Do you want me to arrange for you to interview them? No, I don't <laughs> see any need to make it too formal. We don't want to worry people. I'm sure you can leave it safely to us. I hope you understand that while we wish to help you in every way, we are extremely concerned about any press publicity. Uh, we are fully aware of that. And I'd like to have a word with the chambermaid. If you wish. Uh, Miss Sheldon will be on duty at six o'clock on the second floor. Though I doubt very much if she'll be able to tell you anything. Probably not. But one never knows. In the meantime, I will arrange for Henry to serve tea for you in the lunch. That would be very kind of you. Um, I'll take care of this, if you like, sir. I know you've got an appointment. Hmm? Oh, yes. Uh, take care of it for me, will you, hmm. Sergeant? <clears throat> Perhaps we might start with that Miss Marple lady. I don't suppose anything will come of it, but it's worth trying. Uh, Miss Marple is taking tea in the lounge. Ah. I'll oh. get Henry to point her out to you. Oh, thank you very much. And thank you for giving us your time, Mr. Humphreys, uh, Miss Gorringe. Always pleased to be of service. You know, Campbell, I don't much like that chap, Humphreys. You think there's something fishy about him? Yeah, well, you know the sort of feeling you sometimes get. A smarmy sort of chap. Mm. 
I wonder if he's the owner, only the manager. Shouldn't be too difficult to find uh, out. Yes, but quietly. What's on your mind, sir? Uh, nothing in particular. I just think I'd like to have a bit more information about this place. Who's behind it, what its financial status is, all that sort of thing. Uh, I should have thought if there was one place in London that was above suspicion... Yeah, I know, I know. That's just what interests me. What a useful thing it is to have a reputation like that. If I'm going to find out what's really going on at Bertram's, I shall need someone to pull a few strings for me. See if you can get me an interview with the chief, will you? I'll do that, sir. And good luck with Miss Marple. Why do they want to talk to the chambermaid, Miss Gorringe? I thought they'd gone through it all before. I imagine it's just routine. You'd better have a word with her first. But surely Inspector Campbell simply wants it to confirm... It isn't Campbell who'll be talking to her. It's the other one. Do you know who he is? I didn't quite get his name. Sergeant somebody or that other. That is Chief Inspector Davy. An old fox, if ever there was one. I'd like to know what he's doing here, nosing around. I don't like it at all. Did he ask to see anyone else apart from Rose? I think he may have a word with Henry. Ah, uh, <laughs> well, we needn't worry about Henry. He can ask him whatever he likes. And what did you think of the muffins, sir? Oh, first rate. Really first rate. They really are very good, aren't they? Just like muffins used to be in the good old days. <laughs> now, can you please point out Miss Marple to me? She's the elderly lady sitting over by the fireplace, sir. Ah, the one with the fluffy hair and the knitting. <laughs> Might almost be on the stage, mightn't you? <laughs> Everyone's universal great aunt. <laughs> well, thank you, Henry. I'll go and have a word with her. Uh, thank you, sir. Excuse me, ma'am. Uh, I believe you are Miss Marple. Yes, that is so. Oh, I hope you don't mind me speaking to you. You see, I'm a police officer. Uh, may I sit down? Of course. Is there something wrong? Oh, there's nothing to worry about. No burglary or anything like that. Uh, just a little difficulty about an absent-minded clergyman. Uh, you know him, I think. Canon Pennyfather? Oh, <laughs> Canon Pennyfather. He was here only the other day. Yes, I've known him. Uh, but only slightly. For many years. Uh, As you say, he is rather absent-minded. What has he done now? Well, in a manner of speaking, Miss Marple, he's lost himself. Oh, dear. Where ought he to be? Back home in his cathedral close. But he isn't. He told me that he was going to a conference in Lucerne. Something to do with the Dead Sea Scrolls, I think he said. He's a great Hebrew and Aramaic scholar, you know. Uh, yes, you're quite right, Miss Marple. And that's where he was supposed to be going. Do you mean he didn't turn up there? Uh, no, I'm afraid he didn't. Uh, well, I suppose he got his dates wrong. <laughs> Very likely. I'm afraid this is not the first time that such a thing has happened. I once went to take tea with him at his home in Chadminster, and he'd gone off somewhere. His housekeeper hadn't the faintest idea where he was. He um, didn't say anything to you when he was staying here. That might give us a clue, I suppose. You'll know the sort of thing. Um, some friend he'd met or some plans he'd made, uh, apart from the conference at Lucerne. Oh, no. The only thing he mentioned was the Lucerne conference. He was quite excited about it. I think he said that it was on the 19th. Yes, that was the date. I thought he said the 19th, but at the time he might have meant the 19th and it really might have been the 20th. I mean, he might have thought the 20th was the 19th. Or perhaps the other way around. I, I don't quite follow you. 
I'm afraid I'm putting it rather badly, but I mean, people like Canon Pennyfather. If they say they're going somewhere on a Thursday, one is quite prepared to find that they didn't mean Thursday. It may be Wednesday or Friday, they really mean. Usually they find out in time, but sometimes they just don't. I thought at the time that something like that must have happened. You mean you knew that he hadn't been to Lucerne? I knew that he wasn't in Lucerne on the Thursday. He was here all day, or most of the day. That's why I thought when he said Thursday to me, he really meant Friday. Uh, but he certainly left here on Thursday evening with his BEA bag. Uh, quite so. I naturally took it that he was going off to the airport. That's why I was so surprised to see that he was back again. I beg your pardon? Uh, what do you mean by back again? Well, that he was back here again. <laughs> Let's get this quite clear, Miss Marple. You saw Canon Pennyfather leave for the airport with his overnight bag early in the evening. Is that right? Uh, yes, at about half past six. But you say he came back. Oh, perhaps he had missed the plane. That would account for it. Uh, when did he come back? I don't know, really. I didn't see him come back. But I thought you said you did see him. Oh, yes, but that was later. I mean, I didn't actually see him come into the hotel. And when was it that you did see him? I couldn't sleep very well. Something woke me up, some sound. I looked at my little clock. It was ten minutes past three. For some reason, I can't tell you why, I felt uneasy. Footsteps, perhaps, outside my room. So I got up and opened my door very quietly and looked out. There was Canon Pennyfather leaving his room next door to mine and going off downstairs wearing his overcoat. He came out of his room, wearing his overcoat, and went down the stairs at three o'clock in the morning. Yes, I thought it was odd at the time. But, Miss Mother, why haven't you told anyone about this before? Nobody asked me. Uh, no. no, I suppose nobody would ask you. It's as simple as that. You think that something has happened to Canon Pennyfather, don't you? Well, it's over a week now. He didn't have a stroke and fall down in the street. He's not in hospital as the result of an accident. So, where is he? His disappearance has been reported in the press, but no one's come forward with any information. Oh, they may not have noticed it in the papers. I didn't. Hmm. It's beginning to look, though, as if he somehow meant to disappear. Leaving the place like that in the middle of the night. You're quite sure about it, aren't you, Miss Marple? You didn't dream it. I'm absolutely sure. Well, thank you very much, Miss Marple. You've given me a good deal to think about. You will let me know, won't you, if you find out what has happened to him? Oh, of course I will. And now, if you'll excuse me, I shall go and have a word with the chambermaid. A very pleasant girl. Her name is Rose. Oh, yes, sir. Canon Pennyfather's a very nice gentleman. He often stays here. A little absent-minded, or so I've heard. Perhaps a little, sir. And I understand that the last time you saw him was on the morning Morning of, of the... Thursday the 19th, sir. He told me he wouldn't be back that night, nor possibly not the following night, neither. He was off to somewhere in Switzerland, he said. He gave me two shirts he wanted laundering, and I said they'd be ready for him on the morning of the following day. And you didn't see him again? No, sir. You see, I'm not on duty in the afternoon... I came back again at six in the evening, and by that time he must have left or been downstairs. He wasn't in his room. And did you call him on the following morning? Oh, no, sir. There was no cause to. He was away. Ah. What do you ordinarily do? Take him early morning tea or breakfast? Early tea. He always had breakfast downstairs. So you didn't go into his room at all the next day? Oh, yes, sir, I did. There were shirts for one thing, and, of course, I cleaned the room. All the rooms were cleaned and dusted every day. 
Had the bed been slept in? How could it have been, sir? He was away. Well, was it rumpled? Did it look as if anyone had sat down on it? Oh, no, sir. So there was nothing to show that he had come back into his room, uh, perhaps much later, um, after midnight? No, sir. And what about his clothes? Were they packed up in his suitcase? No, sir. They were hanging up in the cupboards. He was keeping his room on, you see, sir. Well, who did pack them up? You mean when he didn't come back, sir? Yes. I did. Miss Gorringe gave orders, sir. The room was wanted for a new lady coming in. And what about the airport bag? Beg your pardon, sir? A small dark blue bag, probably a BEA bag. The kind you take with you on an aeroplane. Oh, that. Yes, sir. But of course he'd have taken that with him to Switzerland. But the Canon Pennyfather never got to Switzerland. So he must have left it behind. Or else he came back here and left it with his other luggage. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm not quite sure I believe he did. At least I think so. Will that be all, sir? Thank you very much, Rose. You may go. Thank you, sir. They didn't brief you on that one, did they, my girl? So what was the right answer, I wonder? Uh, can I get you a taxi, sir? Uh, not just now. You're an ex-army man. Uh, yes, sir. Irish Guard. I see you're wearing the military medal. Where did you get that? In Burma. And what's your name? Michael Gorman. Do you like it here? Well, it's peaceful enough. Wouldn't you prefer somewhere like the Hilton? I would not. This is much more my kind of place. <laughs> you get a lot of racing gentlemen here for Ascot and Newbury. I keep my ears open and sometimes come up with a winner. Ah, a bit of a gambler then, are you? What would life be without the odd little flutter, sir? <laughs> Care to take a gamble on what my profession is? Well, no offence to you, sir, but if I may guess, I'd say you were a cop. Right first time. <laughs> Tell me, do you remember a, a Canon Pennyfather? Canon Pennyfather? Yes, elderly clergyman, white hair. Clergymen are as thick as peas in a pod in this place. Well, this one's disappeared. Oh, that one, the uh, absent-minded fella. How did you know him? Well, I wouldn't remember him at all if it weren't for people asking me questions about him. All I know is that I put him in a taxi for the air terminal. I believe he was supposed to be going to Switzerland, but I gather he never got there. Lost himself, it seems. And you didn't see him later that day? No, sir. <laughs> what time did you go off duty? 11.30. And who takes over after you? Well, no one, sir. There's Eldridge, the night porter, but uh, the guests all have their own keys. Oh. That's not the kind of car you'd associate with this place. <laughs> no, you won't find many of the old bishops or generals driving about in one of these, sir. Good day to you, sir. <laughs> a man in a hurry, evidently. Do you know who that fellow is? A dangerous driver, I shouldn't wonder. It's Ladislaus Malinowski. He won the Grand Prix two years ago. He had a bad smash last year. Oh, so he seems to have survived it. Well, they say it's right as rain now. Surely he can't be staying at Bertram's. Not his kind of thing at all, I'd imagine. Oh, no, he's not staying here, sir. But a friend of his is. <laughs> it's a funny old world, isn't it, sir? F-A-N-2266. Yes, sir, I've made a note of it. Mm. Uh, and you say the owner is Ladislaus Malinowski? Yes, that's right, Campbell. Ah, right, I'll look into it, sir. Oh, and we've heard from a girl at the air terminal. Oh? It seems the Canon Pennyfather turned up there on the evening of the 19th. Uh, his flight was booked for the previous day, they said. He seemed very confused by it all and just walked off. Yeah, and if Miss Marple is to be believed, and I can't see any reason why not, he went back to Bertram's hotel. Ah. But why did he go out again? That's what I can't fathom. Hmm. 
No, oh, I arranged that meeting with the chief, sir. Sir Ronald will see you in half an hour's time. Ladislaus Malinowski. Well, you think he might be the mastermind you're looking for, Davy? It could be, Sir Ronald. He fits the bill.、Uh, rather a far throw, I'd have thought. Oh, I know he's supposed to be a daredevil with nerves of steel, or whatever they call him in the papers, and he's got quite a reputation with the women. But that doesn't necessarily qualify him as a master thief. What evidence have you got to support it? Well, I admit I haven't got very much that would stand up in court、uh, as yet. He runs a Mercedes Otto, and a car answering to that description was seen near Bedhampton at the time of the mail robbery. And it's the same kind of stunt we've seen before, unlike but not too unlike. The number the constable noted was FAN double two double nine, not double two double six. There aren't many models of that type about, though. Yes, but this doesn't help us much in proving that Malinowski is the man behind the robbery network. I am certain that he was involved in it. There was a Mercedes Auto at the scene of the Midland and West London bank robbery. And you're sure it was the same car? Well, that's what's so frustrating. The woman reported it as FAN double three double six instead of FAN double two double six. It's all the same picture, sir. And Malinowski drove up to Bertram's hotel this afternoon in a Mercedes Auto with the number FAN double two double six. Funny how everything always seems to lead us back to Bertram's hotel. Yes, it can't all be just coincidence. I want to find out more about that place. I'm sure it's central to the whole issue. You'll have a devil of a job proving that, Davy. It's probably the most respectable hotel in London, and it has an eminently respectable clientele. I know, I know. It's too damn respectable, if you ask me. I took a look at the register on the reception desk. Sir, this and the honourable that, bishops, admirals, and old ladies up from Cheltenham, and wealthy but very proper Americans. They all fall into a kind of pattern. You can't suspect there's something funny going on at Bertram's just because their visitors are all too respectable. Oh yes, I know it sounds ridiculous, but well, it's not natural somehow, Sir Ronald. And you can't get away from the fact that one of its respectable clients, a scholarly clergyman of the Church of England, was seen creeping down the stairs of the hotel at three o'clock in the morning. Who saw him? An old lady. A、Miss Jane Marple. What was she doing at three in the morning? Why wasn't she tucked up in bed?、Uh, old ladies are like that, sir.、Huh. And this highly respectable clergyman—I take it that this is Canon Pennyfather. That's right, sir. Well, there's another coincidence for you, Davy. We received a report about him in connection with the robbery of the Irish Mail at Bedhampton. In what way? When the train was stopped by that signal that had been tampered with, a good many people woke up and looked out. And it seems that another old lady, well, middle-aged anyway, who lives in Chadminster and knows Canon Pennyfather by sight, said she saw him coming into the train by one of the doors. Now she thought he must have got down to see what was wrong and was coming in again. The train was stopped by 5:30 a.m. Canon Pennyfather was seen by Miss Marple leaving Bertram's hotel at around 3:30. Now. If he'd been driven up to Bedhampton in a fast racing car, no, I think you're beginning to get racing cars on the brain, Davy. Just because you don't like the look of Malinowski, Chief, I'd like you to do something for me. I want you to pull a few strings. What kind of strings? I want to know who owns Bertram's hotel. The real owners, I mean, not the people it's registered in the name of. I suppose it might be done. It's got to be done, Sir Ronald. I'll do what I can, Davy. But it'll have to be handled with kid gloves. So 
you're awake at long last. How are you feeling, dearie? Uh, I, I'm not at all sure. Oh, that's not surprising, ducks. You've been quite bad, you mm. know. Something hit you a nasty crack, the doctor said. Some man in a car, not even stopping after he'd knocked you down. Uh, well, uh, I had an accident, uh, a motor accident. Ah, that's right. Found you by the side of the road when we came home. Thought you was drunk at first. Then my husband said he'd better take a look. It may have been an accident, he said. There wasn't no smell of drink or anything. No, there wouldn't have been. Oh, anyway, there you were, out like a log. There wasn't anything on you to say who you were, so we brought you back here and got the doctor round. Mild concussion, he says, and told us to keep you lying flat in a dark room. Ah, uh, uh, how long have I been here? Since Friday morning. Where, where are we? I mean, where, where am I? What is this place? Miss Marple? Miss Marple? Yes, Miss Corringe, what is it? There's a telephone call for you. Perhaps you'd like to take it in the phone booth just over there, number three. Thank you. Hello? Uh, this is Miss Marple. Uh, this is Chief Inspector Davy, Miss Marple. Oh. Uh, we were talking the other day about Canon Pennyfather. Yes, I remember. Well, I thought you might like to know that your friend, Canon Pennyfather, has turned up. Oh, I'm so glad. Is he all right? Uh, he's apparently had some kind of accident, but he isn't in any danger. Where is he? He's in a place called Milton St. John. Oh, that means nothing to me. Uh, where is it? Well, that's the funny thing about it. It's only a few miles from Bedhampton. The place where the Irish mail robbery took place. Oh, dear. What on earth was he doing there? My two weeks' holiday up in town was coming to an end, and I cannot say that I greatly regretted it. It had been pleasant to go back to the world of my childhood, but I was beginning to suspect that something very sinister was going on at Bertram's. We present June Whitfield as Miss Marple and Frederick Yeager as Chief Inspector Davy in Agatha Christie's At Bertram's Hotel. There was one thing at least which helped to set my mind at rest. Poor Canon Pennyfather had been found at last. But when Chief Inspector Davy and Inspector Campbell went down to Chadminster to see him, the mystery of his disappearance seemed more inexplicable than ever. I'm afraid that I, I simply cannot remember anything at all, Inspector. You said you were knocked down by a car. You must remember that, surely. Well, no, I'm afraid I can't. Then how do you know that a car did hit you? Oh, uh, the, the woman there, um, what did you say her name was, Mrs. McRae? Her name was Mrs. Wheeling Cannon Pennyfather. Ah, yes, of course, yes. Well, she told me about it. And how did she come to know that, sir? Oh, dear, dear me, you're quite right. She couldn't really have known, could she? <clears throat> no, I, I suppose she found me lying by the side of the road and thought, 
That is what had happened. And you really cannot remember anything. How did you come to be in Milton St. John? I've no idea. Even the name is quite unfamiliar to oh, me. For goodness sake, I'm surely you Gently might... does it, Campbell. Mm. Sorry, sir. Just um, tell us the last thing that you do remember, sir. Uh, well, uh, I was going to Lucerne to a congress. I took a taxi to the air terminal. And do you remember arriving at the air terminal? Oh, I suppose so. And you caught the flight for Lucerne? Did I? Well, I don't remember doing so. <laughs> well, then did you go back to Bertram's Hotel that night? I, I can't remember. Do, do you remember travelling on a train? A train? <laughs> No, I, I don't recall any train. There was a hold-up. The train was robbed. Surely, Canon Pennyfather, you can remember that. Well, dear me, I, I ought to, oughtn't I? But somehow, um, I don't. <sighs> then your story is that you remember nothing after going in the taxi to the air terminal until you woke up in Mrs Wheeling's cottage at Milton St John. Well, there's nothing unusual in that, you know. It happens quite often in cases of concussion. When you woke up, what did you think had happened to you? I had such a headache, I really couldn't think at all. I, I just couldn't understand how I'd got there. It was Mrs Wheeling who explained that she and her husband had found him lying in the road. And she brought me some truly excellent soup. She called me dearie and ducks, but... Really, she was very kind. Uh, she ought to have reported the incident to the police. Then you would have been taken to the hospital and properly looked after. I don't think she cared much for the police. No, she looked after me very well, and I understand that with concussion there's very little you can do except keep the patient quiet. Uh, yes, well, sir, if you do remember anything... whole days... Four whole days lost out of my life. The doctor tells me that it may well come back to me, but it's quite possible that I shall never know. <laughs> you, you, you must excuse me. I, I think I'm ra rather tired. That's quite enough now, gentlemen. The doctor was most insistent that the cannon shouldn't be worried. Walls of Jericho. What was that? Come on now. You must let the poor man sleep. What was that he said just as we were leaving, Campbell? Did you catch it? Uh, I thought he said the walls of Jericho. Well, what could he mean by that? Hmm. That woman who said she saw him on the train after the hold-up, can she possibly be right? After all, Milton St. John is only a short drive away from where the Irish mail was robbed, but I can't see how he could possibly be involved in it all. He's such a terribly respectable old boy. We can't possibly suspect a canon of Chadminster Cathedral of being mixed up in a train robbery. No. No more than we can suspect Mr. Justice Ludgrove of being mixed up in a bank hold-up. It's a very curious business. And they were both staying at Bertram's Hotel. Hmm. So, what's the next step, sir? Well, I'm going to have a little chat with a man called Robert Hoffman. Uh, the chief got his name by pulling a few quiet strings. Mm. Hoffman's Swiss, but he lives in London. 
He and his brother are diamond merchants, and they've got a good deal of influence in banking circles. Always on the right side of the law, of course. But what have the Hoffman brothers to do with the robbery of the Irish mail? That remains to be seen. What I do know is that the Hoffman brothers own a lot of property in London, not usually under their own names. And I have reason to believe that they are the real owners of Bertram's Hotel. It is some years since we last met, Chief Inspector. I forget the exact circumstances. The Arenberg Diamonds case. Of course that was it. And you were an excellent witness for the Crown, if I may oh. say so. The defence was quite unable to shake you. I am not easily shaken. But I am sure you did not come here to talk about the past. What can I do for you? No trouble, I hope. Uh, I always wish to remain... On good terms with the police. Oh, I simply hoped you might be able to give me a little information about Bertram's Hotel. Bertram's Hotel. Hmm. You have a connection with it, I believe, Mr. Hoffman. Oh, there are so many things. One cannot possibly remember them all. So many businesses and so many places. <laughs> well, perhaps I shouldn't have said a connection. As a matter of fact, you own the place, don't you? Oh, who could have told you that, I wonder... Well, it's true, isn't it? Very nice little enterprise, I should say. I was there only the other day. Agreeable, old-fashioned clientele. Comfortable, old-fashioned premises. Nothing rackety about it. A lot of luxury without being luxurious. I know very little about it personally. It is just one of my investments, but I hear that it is doing well. And you have a first-rate man running it. Mr. Humphreys, if I remember right. Humphreys, yes. An excellent man. I leave everything to him. You, you say you are at Bertram's Hotel the other day, not officially, I hope. Oh, nothing serious. Mm. Uh, what you might call the case of the disappearing clergyman. <laughs> <laughs> you English and your Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> I hope the staff give you every assistance. Oh, they couldn't have been nicer. Hmm. Miss Gorringe was most helpful. She's been with you quite some time, I believe. Uh, possibly. I really know very little about the place. I, I'm surprised that you even knew that it belonged to me. You, you must understand that Bertram's is only part of a chain of properties in London. Are there any other directors apart from you and your brother? Lord Pomfret, Abel Isaacson. Mm -hmm. Do you really need to know these things just because you are looking into the case of a disappearing clergyman? I suppose it's really just curiosity. Uh. Looking for my lost clergyman was what took me to Bertram's, but then I got interested in it, if you know what I mean. And now I trust your curiosity is satisfied. Well, one thing I'd really like to know is where Bertrams get hold of their staff. Uh, now, that fellow who serves tea and muffins, um, Henry, he looks as if he might be an archduke or a bishop. You like muffins with plenty of butter, I see, Chief Inspector. Yes, I suppose I do. But you really can't expect me to tell you where the staff come from. That is the matter I leave entirely in the capable hands of Mr. Humphreys. I hope you find your clergyman. Oh, I uh, found him. Um, disappointing case, really. He had an accident and got concussion. It's as simple as that. Ah. I am glad it was all cleared up so easily. Goodbye, then, Inspector. Yeah. Oh, by the way, is Lady Sedgwick a director of your company? Lady Sedgwick? No, why should she be? Oh, well, one, one hears things. 
Just a shareholder, then? Uh, yes, I believe so. Well, then, goodbye, Mr. Hoffman. Bye. Thank you. You've been most helpful. <laughs> so, how did Hoffman take your barging in like that? Well, he certainly wasn't pleased that we'd found out he owned the place, Sir Ronald. It came as quite a shock to him. What did he say? Oh, we kept it all very formal and polite, but he was fairly curious about how I could have found out. Well, I hope you didn't oblige him with that information. I most certainly did not. And you think the Hoffman brothers might be behind the whole criminal network? I think it's a strong possibility, yes. Well, it could account for a lot. They'd never be obviously connected with anything criminal themselves, of course. They, they, they don't organize crime, but they might well finance it. Mm. Brother Wilhelm deals with the banking side from Switzerland. But he was behind those currency rackets just after the war. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, so we were never able to prove it. The brothers controlled a great deal of money, and they used to back all kinds of enterprises. Some legitimate, but some very definitely not. Robert's operation in England is very cleverly organized. Diamonds, banking, office buildings, hotels and restaurants, all thriving, and apparently all owned by somebody else. Davy, hmm. what do you think? Are the Hoffman brothers responsible for these organized robberies? No, as you say, they only deal with the finance. We've got to look elsewhere for the person who actually plans them. And whoever it is, he's a first-class brain. Good evening, sir. Though that's no way to describe it. Nasty. Foggy, treacherous and damp. Yeah, shouldn't have thought anyone would be about tonight. It didn't need to be. No. I, I've been telling all the old biddies here to stay inside where it's warm. Likely to catch the death of cold on a night like this, or at least get their bags stolen. Notice the racing Mercedes is parked down the street again. Is that so, sir? Mm, there's another one just like it, parked not 50 yards from it. Well, that really is a curious thing. Uh, were you wanting a taxi, sir? <laughs> I don't imagine you could get one for me, even if I did. Not on a night like this. But in any case, I've got business in the hotel. Uh, would it still be the missing clergyman, sir? No, no, not any longer. He's been found. Oh, well, that's good news. And where did they find the old gentleman? Wandering about with a concussion after an accident. Just what you might expect. Cross the road without looking, I shouldn't wonder. <laughs> Something of the sort. Um, is Miss Godinge still on duty? Yes, sir. You'll find her behind the reception desk, as usual. It's you again, Inspector. And what can I do for you? Uh, did you wish to speak to Mr. Humphreys? No, thank you, Miss Gorringe. That won't be necessary this evening. I just wanted to take another look at your register, if you've no objection. Of course, Chief Inspector. Here you are. Thank you. Um, Canon Pennyfather hasn't been in, I suppose. Canon Pennyfather? What do you mean? You know he's turned up again. No! Uh, nobody told me. Where? Some place in the country. Car accident, it seems. Some good Samaritan picked him up and looked after him. Oh, uh, I am pleased. I was getting quite worried about him. Mm, so were his friends, Miss Gorringe. Actually, I was looking to see whether one of them might be staying here now. An archdeacon, somebody or other. I'd hoped that the register might remind me what his name was. Oh, do you? You mean Archdeacon Tomkinson? Uh, he's coming up from Salisbury tomorrow. Um, no, no, I don't think that was his name. Oh, it's not really that important. <laughs> well, it seems very quiet in here tonight. Well, it's it's not a very nice evening. <laughs> Isn't that Miss Marple sitting over there by the fire? Yes, it is. I think I might have a quiet word with her. 
I'm leaving tomorrow, Inspector. It's the end of my fortnight's holiday. Ah, you've enjoyed it, I hope. In a way, yes. And in another way, no? It's difficult to explain what I mean. Miss Marple, I don't think anyone can overhear us here. Is there something that you wish to tell me? I don't know whether I ought to do so. It's really none of my business. I would like you to understand that I'm not really fond of interfering, though usually well-meant it can often cause a great deal of harm. Oh, yes, I'm sure you're right. Sometimes one sees people doing things that seem to one unwise, even dangerous, but has one the right to interfere. Is this something to do with Canon Penny, Father? Oh, dear, no. Nothing whatever to do with him. It concerns a girl. Oh, uh, and you think that I might be able to help? I simply don't know, but I'm worried, very worried. One reads in the papers of young girls said to be in need of care and protection. And you think the girl you mentioned is in need of care and protection, do you? Yes, yes, I do. Alone in the world? Oh, no. Very much not so, if I may put it that way. To all outward appearances, she is very heavily protected and well cared for. I see. She was staying at this hotel with a Mrs. Carpenter. I took a look in the hotel register and found that her name is Elvira Blake. Elvira Blake. She was a lovely girl. And so young. Her guardian was a Colonel Luscombe, a very nice man. Oh, but oh, so terribly innocent. The Guardian or the girl? Oh, the Guardian. I don't know about the girl. I think she is in some danger. I came across her by chance in Battersea Park. She was sitting in a cafe with a young man. Or perhaps not so very young. The kind of man that I should say is very attractive to women. But his face is a bad face. Cold, hawk-like, predatory. Mm, dangerous. I'm convinced of it. He drives a large and powerful racing car. A racing car? Yes. Once or twice I've seen it standing outside this hotel. You don't remember the number, do you, Miss Marple? Oh, yes, I do. Fan 2266. Uh -huh. I had a cousin called Fanny who stuttered. That's how I remember it. Uh, yes, I know the man that you're talking about. He's half French, half Polish, a very well-known racing driver. His name is Ladislaus Malinowski. Ah. And you are quite right. He does have a bad name where women are concerned. Mm -hmm. And he's not a suitable friend for a young girl. No. But, well, it's not so easy to do anything about this kind of thing. No. Yeah. Do you think she's meeting him on, on the sly? Almost certainly. Well, I'll see what I can do about it, but it's a tricky business. Oh, uh, by the way, we're not having much luck in finding out exactly what happened to your friend, Canon Pennyfather. Oh, dear. Oh, he's recovering well enough, but he can't recall a thing after getting into a taxi for the air terminal. I suppose that often happens after concussion. Didn't he say anything useful at all? He muttered something about the walls of Jericho. Ah, did he? Yes, well, I found out that there was a film of that name playing at the local Gomon Cinemas that week. Yes. Uh, not his kind of thing at all, I'd have thought. But it's just possible that he could have gone to see it and then come back here. And in that case, why did no one see him come in? Well, let's suppose he arrived after midnight, uh, took the wrong bus, perhaps. Now, he'd have let himself in walked up to his room without anyone noticing. Yes, but then what happened? Why did he... Uh, oh, what was that? Just a car backfiring. Oh, oh, I'm sorry to be so jumpy. 
I just have a feeling that something is about to happen. Oh, I don't think you need worry. I... I've never liked fog. <laughs> I just wanted to tell you that you've given me a lot of help, particularly the little things you've noticed about this place. They're all beginning to add up. You mean that there is something wrong about Bertram's hotel? I suspect that there's everything wrong with it. It seemed so wonderful at first, like stepping back into the past, to that part of the past that one has loved and enjoyed. But somehow it wasn't right. It was all mixed up. Real people and people who weren't real. One couldn't always tell them apart. How do you mean, not real? There were retired military men, but there were also what seemed to be military men, but who had never been in the army. And clergymen who weren't clergymen. Take my friend Selina Hazy. It amused me at first how she was always anxious to recognize people she knew, and how often they turned out not to be the people she thought they were. Mm. And even Rose, the chambermaid, she seemed so perfect at first. Ah, she's not the real thing either. She's an actress. It's a better salary here than she ever got on the stage. Oh, but why? What is the purpose of it all? Oh. Well, that certainly isn't the car backfiring. Excuse me, Miss Marple. Yes. <laughs> Someone tried to kill me. They shot at me. And then this man pushed me back and got in front of me. And there was another shot and it hit him. Oh, I think he's hurt. Badly hurt. Uh, looks as if he's had it. Yes. I'm afraid he's dead. Oh, no, he can't be dead. He saved my life. Who was it that shot at you? I don't know. I'd left my car around the corner because of the fog, and I was trying to find my way to the hotel. And then there was this shot, and the commissioner came running over and shoved me behind him. I think whoever did it must have been standing in the gate of the basement area over there. Oh, you, you didn't see him? No, not properly. He rushed past me and vanished into the fog. Oh, why should anyone want to kill me? Horrible. It's the second time it's happened. Yes. I don't understand. Yes. No, come on, come on. Let's get you into the hotel. What is it, Inspector? Has someone been hurt? Your doorman has been shot, Miss Corrins. Oh. Shot dead by someone trying to kill this young lady. I can't believe it. Uh, yes, will you get an ambulance over here straight away and ring the police? Of course. What was going on? What was that shooting? Mother! For a moment out there in the fog, I thought it was you, Lady Sedgwick. There is a considerable resemblance between you and your daughter. It's a pretty violent way to be reunited with a girl you haven't seen since she was two years old. How are you feeling now, Miss Blake? I'm all right now, I think, Inspector. Good, good. I'd like you to answer a few questions, if you feel up to it, because, as I'm sure you both understand, time is of the essence in these things. Sergeant Waddell here will take notes. All right, Sergeant? Yes, Chief Inspector. Now, Miss Blake, you were shot at twice and a man was killed. We want as many clues as we can get to the person who did the shooting. Now, you said that this was the second time somebody tried to kill you. Can you tell us more about what happened on the first occasion? Did I say that? I don't remember. I was just being hysterical. No, I don't think you were, Miss Blake. I think you meant what you said. I might have been imagining things. You'd better tell him, Elvira. Was it something that happened in Italy? Yes. Uh, that's where you were at finishing school, is that right? At Countess Martinelli's. Excuse me, sir. Mm. What was that name? 
uh, Martinelli, Sergeant. Thank you, sir. Well, a big box of chocolates came for me at the school. There was a card with them, written in Italian, in a big flowery hand, to the Bellissima Signorina, or something like that. Excuse me, sir. It doesn't matter, Sergeant. It's not important. Uh, Go on, Miss Blake. Well, my friends and I, we all had a laugh about it and wondered who could have sent it. Did it come by post? No, it was put there in my room. Someone must have left it there. He bribed one of the servants, I expect. I don't imagine you told the Countess about it. No, I certainly didn't. Anyway, we opened the box and there were lovely chocolates. There were some violet creams. You know, the ones with the crystallised violet on top. They're my favourites. So, of course, I ate two of those first. And afterwards, in the night, I was terribly ill. But I didn't connect it with the chocolates. I thought it must have been something I'd eaten at dinner. Were any of the other girls ill? No, only me. I was pretty sick, but I'd recovered by the end of the next day and I had another of the chocolates. And the same thing happened again. So Bridget and I, she's my special friend, took a careful look at them. And the violet creams had a hole in the bottom that had been filled in again. So we thought that someone must have put poison in, but only in the violet creams that were my favourites. And you still didn't tell the Countess? Well, no, we didn't. She'd have made a terrible fuss. And you didn't try to find out who'd sent them? Well, you see, I thought that it might have been Guido. I see. Uh, Never mind, Sergeant. And who is Guido? Well, you see, he... he's... Oh, don't be stupid, Elvira. Tell Chief Inspector Davy about Guido, whoever he may be. Every gal of your age has a Guido in her life. You met him there, I imagine. Yes. When the Countess took us to the opera, he spoke to me. He was very attractive. I would see him sometimes when we went to art appreciation. He used to pass me notes. And I suppose that you told a lot of lies and your friends covered up for you so that you could sneak out and see him? Yes, that's right. Uh, What I don't understand is why this young man should want to kill you. Oh, it was so silly. He introduced me to some of his friends and I pretended to flirt with them to make him jealous. And he got terribly angry. And he said that if I didn't swear to be faithful to him, he'd kill me. But do you really believe he tried to poison you? No, I suppose I don't. But who else could it have been? And when I got back to England, I found a note slipped under my door while I was staying at this hotel. What kind of note? It just said, be on your guard. There is someone who intends to kill you. That sounds very odd. Were you frightened? I began to wonder why anybody could possibly want to kill me. Then the other day, I was standing, waiting in the tube, and there was a great crowd of people, and I'm certain someone tried to push me on the line. My dear child, you're imagining things. No, maybe I have been in the past, but after what happened tonight, it must be true. Don't you see? Can't you tell me? Is there anyone who wants to kill me, Mother? Don't be an (laughs) idiot. Nobody wants to kill you. Why should they? Then who shot at me tonight? In that fog, you might have been mistaken for someone else. It's quite possible. Don't you think so, Chief Inspector? Yes, yes, it's possible. Uh, But tell me, Miss Blake, what were you doing outside Bertram's hotel anyway? I'd been to see an exhibition at the Tate with my friend Bridget. I was planning to drive back to the Melford's house in Kent, but then the fog came down and I couldn't see a thing. I got as far as Hyde Park Corner and I realised that I would have to give up the whole idea. I knew I was quite close to the hotel where I'd stayed with Uncle Derek, and I was sure they'd be able to find a room for me. I was just coming up to the hotel when I heard the shot. It seemed to go right past my ear. The commissioner came running out towards me and he pushed me behind him and then... Steady, girl. Steady now. And then, when I got into the hotel, I saw you. I'd never really seen you before. Not like that. And I... Gently now. (laughs) Gently. Um, Miss Blake, (laughs) do you know a man called Ladislaus Malinowski? No. Ah. No, I don't. I thought perhaps you might. I had an idea that he might be here this evening. Why should he be here? Well, his car is parked close by. I don't know him. You do, of course, Lady Sedgwick. Naturally, known him for years. 
He's a madman, but you can't help admiring him. Drives like the devil. He'll break his neck one of these days. Would you mind if I went to bed now, Inspector? I'm terribly tired. I'll come up with you. Good night, Inspector. Good night, Miss Elvira. Poor girl. What a terrible experience. She's lying. She knows Malinowski, all right. Do you really think so, sir? I know so, Sergeant. She had tea with him in Battersea Park only a day or two ago. How did you find that out, sir? A sharp-eyed old lady saw them together. Didn't think he was a nice friend for a young girl. Well, she's right, of course. Especially if he and the girl's mother... I want him picked up, Sergeant. You'll find his car just around the corner. F-A-N-2266. I came back because I wanted to talk to you, Inspector Davy. I pretended to Elvira I'd forgotten something. Oh, well, won't you sit down, Lady Sedgwick? I wonder if I could speak to you alone. I'd like a word or two in private. Oh, I don't see why not. Uh, perhaps you'll look into that little matter I mentioned, Sergeant? Oh, of course, sir. I don't believe a word of that about the poison chocolates, Inspector. I think she deliberately made it up. But I don't understand why. Well, if you don't know, how should I? She's your daughter. You know her better than I do. I don't know her at all. I've not seen her or had anything to do with her since she was two years old when I ran away from my husband. Oh, yes, yes, I know all that. I was always curious why the court didn't give you custody of the child. It's usual, even if the mother is the guilty party in a divorce. Uh, presumably you didn't ask for it. You uh, didn't want it. I thought it better not. On moral grounds? Goodness, no. Plenty of adultery about. Children have to learn to grow up with it. No, it's just that I'm not a safe person to be with. I was born to live dangerously. I thought it would be better for Elvira to have a conventional English upbringing, shielded, looked after. But without a mother's love, do you still think you were right? No, I don't. I think I may have been entirely wrong. Does your daughter know Ladislaus Malinowski? I'm sure she doesn't. She said so. You heard her. Oh, yes, yes, I heard her. She was afraid, you know, when she was sitting here. Your daughter was scared out of her wits. I know fear when I see it. Can you give me an idea of who might want to kill her? Nobody, nobody at all. I think that it's possible the killer could have mistaken her for somebody else. I believe she's due to inherit quite a considerable fortune when she comes of age. Yes, a fair amount of money will come her way. And if the gunman tonight had succeeded in killing her, who would that money have gone to? To her next of kin. And who is that? I am, Chief Inspector Davy. I hope you're not accusing me of trying to kill my own daughter. Nothing of the kind, Lady Sedgwick. But you must admit it opens up a very interesting field of speculation, doesn't it? My little holiday in town was over, and I was back home again at St. Mary Mead, taking up my old life where I'd left it, before all those strange and rather disturbing happenings at Bertram's Hotel. We present June Whitfield as Miss Marple and Frederick Yeager as Chief Inspector Davy in Agatha Christie's At Bertram's Hotel. I did my best to settle back into my old ways, but recent memories returned to haunt me. 
particularly that last terrible evening at Bertram's when the poor commissionaire had been shot dead going to the aid of that strange, unhappy girl, Elvira Blake. The trouble is that everyone who has had anything to do with that girl has been far too nice. Too many well-meaning people who don't know anything about evil. Uh, it's not like my old lady. Well, you mean the one who was staying at the hotel, uh, Miss Marple? That's the one, Sir Ronald. Mm. She's had a lot of experience of observing evil, suspecting evil, and going out to do battle with evil. Really? Yes, uh, so I'm not going to waste my time with the respectable people who are supposed to be keeping Elvira Blake on the straight and narrow. So, Davy, who can tell you anything useful about her? Well, there's a girl called Bridget, who's her best friend in Italy. She might be useful, if only I can get her on her own. I'm sorry my mother took up such a time, Chief Inspector, but it's not exactly every day we have the police in the house. Mothers are so difficult. Uh, so they tell me. A lot of young ladies I come across have trouble with their mothers. I couldn't really speak freely in front of Mummy, but I think you ought to know. Elvira has been terribly worried about something, and she's been afraid. She wouldn't exactly admit she was in danger, but I'm sure she was. Yes, I suspected that might be the case. What exactly was it you wanted to ask? Well, first of all, I want to know about a box of chocolates which was sent to Miss Blake in Italy, and which may have been poisoned. Poisoned? I don't think so. At least... There was something? Well, a box of chocolates did come, and Elvira ate quite a lot of them and was terribly sick. She did say that she thought someone must be trying to poison one of us, and we had a look to see if anything had been injected into them. And had it? No, it hadn't. Not as far as we could see. And, um, what about this man, Guido? Oh, he had a terrific crush on Elvira. And the two of you used to slip out to meet him. Well, Elvira did. I covered for her. The Contessa would have hit the roof if she'd known. She was frightfully strict. And did this Guido threaten her at all? Well, not seriously. Well, then perhaps there was someone else she used to steal out to meet. Oh, well, I don't know. Please, tell me, Miss Bridget. It could be very important. There was one man she really minded about. She was deadly serious. Do you know who it was? No. It wouldn't be a racing motorist called Ladislaus Malinowski. So you know about it? Am I right? Yes, I think so. She had a photograph of him which she'd torn out of a newspaper. She kept it under her stockings. Did she go on seeing him in this country? I've really no idea. I don't know much about what she's been doing since we came back from Italy. I heard that she told Mrs. Melford she was coming up to London to see her dentist and came to you instead. And then uh, there was some story about an old governess. Where did she really go? She flew to Ireland. Why did she do that? She wouldn't tell me. She said there was something she had to find out. Do you know where she went? Not exactly. She did mention a place, Ballygowlan, I think it was. And when did she come back? The following day. Also by air? Yes. You're sure? Had she taken a return ticket? No. No, she hadn't. Ah, so she might have come back another way. I suppose so. She might have come back, for instance, by the Irish Mail. I don't think it's very likely that she did. Why don't you ask her? Well, just at the moment, I don't want to call attention to that point. It might just possibly make things more dangerous for her. What do you mean? Because that was the night, or rather the early morning, of the Irish mail robbery. You mean that Elvira was on that train and never told me a thing about well, it? Well, it's not very likely, I agree, but if she was, she may have seen someone she knew, and that may have put her in danger. You mean that someone she knew was mixed up in the robbery? It's a possibility, and it's certainly a line I intend to investigate.
You have no right to arrest me. This is supposed to be a democracy, is it not? You have nothing against me, nothing. You're not under arrest, Mr. Malinovsky. It's just that we think you may be able to assist us with our inquiries. You own a car, a Mercedes Otto, registration number FAN2266. Is there any reason why I should not own such a car? No reason at all, sir. There's just one little... Uh, uncertainty as to the current number. Uh, we have a report that the car was recently seen carrying a different registration plate. Nonsense. It must have been some other car. Oh, no, sir. There's no doubt about it. You were stopped by the police not far from Bedhampton. They asked to see your license and took a note of your registration plate. And when was this mythical encounter supposed to have taken place? It was on the night of the Irish mail robbery. And as I'm sure you realise, Bedhampton is only a short drive away from the scene of the crime. Now you really are getting rather fanciful, are you not? Do you have a revolver? Certainly. I have a revolver and an automatic pistol. I have proper licences for both of them. And where are the firearms now? I think you know very well where they are. The small pistol is in the pocket of my car, and the revolver is in the drawer of the desk in my flat. Hmm. You're quite right about the one in your desk, but the other weapon, the pistol, is not in your car. Yes, it is. It is in the left-hand pocket. It may have been once. It isn't now. Is this it, Mr. Malinowski? So you took it from my car. This pistol of yours was found in a basement area in Pond Street, in the vicinity of Bertram's Hotel. It has nothing to do with me. I did not put it there. Do you know that this is the pistol which was used to shoot Michael Gorman on the night of November the 26th? Are you saying that I shot him? Why should I? He was a complete stranger to me. It was a young lady who was shot at. Gorman ran to protect her and received the second bullet in his chest. A young lady? Hmm. A young lady whom I believe you know, Miss Elvira Blake. Are you saying that someone tried to shoot Elvira with my pistol? I'm suggesting that you may have done so, Mr. Malinowski. It could be that you had a disagreement. Well, you mean that I quarreled with Elvira and shot her? Why should I shoot at the girl I am going to marry? Ah, is that part of your statement, that you are going to marry Miss Elvira Blake? She is still very young. It remains to be discussed. Perhaps she had promised to marry you and then changed her mind. You see, there was someone she was afraid of. Was it you, Mr. Malinowski? Why should I want to kill her? It would be pointless. You say that you intend to marry Elvira Blake. Perhaps you have already married her. If that is so, then you would be the one to inherit her money. And it is known that you are in financial difficulties. No, Chief Inspector, I am not married to Elvira Blake. She is a pretty girl. I like her, and she is in love with me. We had fun together in Italy, but that is all. Just now you said she was the girl you were going to marry. You are too prudish in this country. The mother and I, we are lovers. <laughs> I did not want to say so. I suggest instead that the daughter and I are engaged to be married. That sounds very English and proper. I think all this has gone far enough. May I have my pistol back? No, you may not. It's done quite enough damage. But I'll be happy to write you a receipt for it. I had only been back for four days at St. Mary Mead when I received a telephone call from Chief Inspector Davy asking me to come up to town again. It was of the greatest importance, he said, so I couldn't very well refuse. And when the train drew into the station, there was his familiar portly figure waiting on the platform. 
He wouldn't tell me what it was all about, and we drove in silence to Bertram's hotel, where we went straight up to my old room, number eighteen. You look tired, Chief Inspector. Yes, I've、uh, had to get around a bit. As a matter of fact, I've just returned from Ireland. Ah, from Ballygowlin. Ah,、uh, how the devil did you know about Ballygowlin? Oh, I'm sorry. I beg your pardon, Miss Marple. I suppose Michael Gorman happened to tell you that he came from there. Is that it? No, not exactly. Well then, how, if you don't mind my asking, how did you know? Oh dear, it's really very embarrassing. It was just something I happened to overhear. I see. I wasn't eavesdropping, you understand.、Huh? It was in a public room, and quite frankly, I enjoy listening to people talking. I mean, if people are talking near you, you listen. Oh, quite. Um, look, Miss Marple, I've got Canon Pennyfather arriving at any moment, and I want to make sure he doesn't get lost again. I hope you'll excuse me. Oh, but of course. Oh, you look rather pale, Miss Gorringe. You're not ill, I hope.、Oh, we've had a good deal of worry, Canon Pennyfather. Oh yes, yes, I did see something mentioned in the paper. You, you've had a murder here. Terrible, terrible. Such a thing has never happened at Bertram's. I mean, we are not the sort of hotel where murders happen. Though, of course, it wasn't actually in the hotel; it was in the street. No,、uh, so really, nothing to do with you at all. But、uh, what are you doing here, Canon Pennyfather? We, we we don't have a room reserved、oh, for you. Oh no, 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 no! Chief Inspector Davy asked me to meet him here. I can't imagine what he wants. He's already been down to see me, you know, and、uh, he was rather disappointed. I think that I couldn't remember anything useful. Ah, you're here already, sir. Feeling more like yourself now? Ah,、uh, well, I feel quite well, but I, I still don't seem to remember what I ought to remember. <sighs> well, we mustn't give up hope.、Uh, come upstairs. I want you and Miss Marple to help me in a little experiment. Oh. Now, what do you want me to do? I want you to do exactly what you did on the night of the nineteenth of November, the night you saw Canon Pennyfather going down the stairs.、Uh, he's waiting for my signal in the next room. I understand. Now you were asleep. You woke up.、Yes. You switched on the light,、yes. got out of bed, and looked out of the door. Yes. Now, can you repeat those actions?、Uh, certainly. Yeah,、uh, j- just a minute. I'll bang on the communicating door. I told him to count to ten. Now. Off you go. I'm waking up, and switching on the light, looking at the clock, getting out of bed, and crossing the room to the door. Oh dear! What is it, Miss Marple? The man I saw that night cannot have been Canon Pennyfather. But I thought you said. I know he looked like Canon Pennyfather. His hair and his clothes and everything, but he did not walk the same way. He must have been a kind of oh, what's the German word?、Uh, may I、uh, come back now?、Uh, was it satisfactory? Well, I've now got a fair idea what happened. You came back to the hotel after midnight. You went upstairs. You opened the door of your room, and you saw. I remember now what that German word is. Doppelganger. Yeah, of course, the <laughs> doppelganger. How could I have forgotten? I opened the door and I saw—I I distinctly saw myself sitting in a chair facing me. <laughs> As you say, dear lady, a doppelganger. And then—and then 
startled out of their lives to see you there when they thought you were safely in Lucerne, somebody hit you over the head. And so Canon Pennyfather went off to the British Museum, delighted that he had regained his memory of what happened. But Chief Inspector Davy asked if I could remain a little while longer. I'm sorry to have kept you waiting, Miss Marple. Oh, don't apologise. It has given me time to think. Poor Bertrams. What do you mean, poor Bertrams? I think you know quite well what I mean. It is always sad when a work of art has to be destroyed. Oh yes, I hadn't thought of it like that. I mean, when you get ground elder really badly in a border, there's nothing else you can do except dig the whole thing up.、Uh, it's time we were off. Oh, and where are you taking me now? We are going to have a word with Lady Sedgwick. She's staying here with her daughter. I've met you before, Miss Marple. You were here with Selina Hazy a week or two ago, weren't you? Please sit down. Yes, thank you. And how is your daughter, Lady Sedgwick?、Oh, she seemed none the worse for her experience. She's staying here with me. I hear you've arrested Ladislaus Malinowski. On what charge? Oh, I haven't arrested him. We thought he might be able to help us with our inquiries. What inquiries? We want to know what his movements were the night that Michael Gorman was shot. You're not suggesting that it was Ladislaus who fired those shots at Elvira? They don't even know each other. How much did that shooting business the other night upset you, Lady Sedgwick? Naturally, I was distressed about Elvira.、Uh, no, no, no. I didn't mean that. I mean. How much did the death of Michael Gorman upset you? I was very sorry about it. He was a brave man. Is that all? You knew him, didn't you? Of course. I'm sure Miss Marple knew him too. He worked here. Yes, you knew him a little better than that, I think. He was your husband, wasn't he? You know a great deal, don't you? I hadn't seen Mickey for a great many years, twenty or more. And then I looked out of the window here one day and suddenly recognised him. And he recognised you. Yes, I was very young when I ran away with him. He was a hero to me because of the way he rode a horse. I was really in love with him. It didn't last long. The first twenty-four hours were enough to show me what he was really like. He drank and he was coarse and brutal. I was quite relieved when my family turned up and took me back with them. Did your family know that you were married to him? I didn't know I was married. What do you mean? We were married in Ballygowland, but when my family arrived, Mickey told me that the marriage had been a fake, something he'd cooked up with his friends. Whether he just wanted the money they were offering, or whether he was worried because I was underage, I don't know. Anyway, I didn't doubt that what he said was true. Not then.、Mm, and later? It wasn't until years afterwards, when I knew rather more about the law, that I realised the marriage was probably valid. So, in fact, when you married Lord Cunniston, you committed bigamy. And when I married Johnny Sedgwick, and when I married Ridgeway Becker, <laughs> so much bigger me. I'm sure you find all this very shocking, Miss Marple. But at the time, I put it aside with the things that don't matter in life. I can well imagine that you did. And then one day in November, a few weeks ago, Michael Gorman turned up again and started to blackmail you. Nonsense! Who said that he blackmailed me? I know that he did, Lady Sedgwick. How could you possibly know that? The armchairs in this hotel have very high backs. I was sitting in one in front of the fire in the writing room, resting before I went out one morning. You came in to write a letter. I suppose you didn't realise there was anyone else in the room, and so I overheard your conversation with Michael Gorman. But all the same, 
You must have misunderstood what you heard. Mickey didn't blackmail me. I frightened him off before he could try. Yes, I think you probably did. You threatened to shoot him. And I wasn't the only one to hear you. The other armchair was also occupied. By whom? Your daughter was in the other chair. Oh, my God. What must she have thought? Well, she thought seriously enough of what she'd heard to go to Ireland and search for the truth. It wasn't very hard to discover. Oh, child. Even now she's never asked me a thing. Yes. You see how it changes one's view of what happened the other night. Your daughter says someone shot at her and missed. Gorman came running out to save her and copped it with the second bullet. But what if that was actually what was meant to happen? I'm afraid I don't understand you. Ladislaus Malinowski may have had no plausible reason to shoot your daughter, but he had a very good one to kill Michael Gorman. What possible reason could he have? Oh, a little matter of blackmail, perhaps? Do you mean that Mickey was blackmailing Ladislaus? What about? And perhaps about the things that go on at Bertram's Hotel. What things do you mean? It's been a good racket, well-planned and beautifully executed, but nothing lasts forever. Uh, Miss Marple asked me the other day what was wrong with this place. Well, I'll answer that question now. Bertram's Hotel is, to all intents and purposes, the headquarters of one of the biggest and best crime syndicates that's been known for years. How very interesting. You don't sound surprised, Miss Marple. Uh, I'm not, really. There were so many curious things that did not seem quite to fit in. Bertram's was all too good to be true, if you know what I mean. There were so many little things. People not turning out to be who they were thought to be. I truly do not understand what you're talking about. The whole point of the Bertram's operation was to fabricate false evidence. There was this pool of phony characters, mixed up with the real thing, of course, who would pass through the hotel, clergymen, admirals, generals and the like. Now, when a major crime was committed, one of them would appear on the scene and off the police would go on the track of a highly respectable bishop or a prominent justice of the peace, only to discover that the real people were nowhere near the scene of the crime. And by the time the smoke had cleared away and all our investigations had led us nowhere, we had no hope of finding out who the real criminals were. And that's only the half of it. And what was the other half, Chief Inspector? The foreign visitors who come to Bertram's Hotel. Ah. Rich people, totally above suspicion, mostly Americans, coming here with a lot of luxury luggage which looks the same but isn't. Take the Cabots, for instance. What about the Cabots? Bostonians, very nice people, come here year after year. We took a look at their luggage when they arrived at customs. They had over £300,000 concealed in false compartments in their luggage, the proceeds of the Irish mail robbery. But we'd never have discovered how the bogus person's racket worked, but for one thing. And what was that? The disappearance of Canon Pennyfather. But I'll let Miss Marple explain that one. Yes, he was due to attend a conference at Lucerne on November the 19th, the day before the Irish mail robbery, as it happens. But being an absent-minded kind of person, he got his dates wrong and did not present himself at the air terminal until the evening of the 19th. He discovered his mistake, went to see a highly unsuitable film, and didn't get back to the hotel until after midnight. He went to his room, opened the door, and found a man made up to look like him sitting in his chair. 
But why should anyone want to pretend to be Canon Pennyfather? Because Canon Pennyfather, or rather the man made up to look like him, was to be the decoy, the red herring, call it what you like, for the Irish mail robbery. He was to be driven to Bedhampton that night in a fast car and put aboard the train. With his long white hair and his clerical get-up, somebody would have been bound to notice him, and the police would have run off on another wild goose chase. It all seems utterly fantastic. Yes, I know. And you say that Bertram's hotel is somehow involved in all this? Oh, yes. Quite a few of the staff are involved in the operation. Henry is certainly in on it, as a sort of actor-manager, and Humphreys and Miss Gorringe are right at the centre of it. Really? But surely there's nothing to link Gladyslice with all these rigmarole. Oh, I've got plenty of evidence against him. His car's been seen near nearly every one of the big raids. Too confident by half, that's his trouble. But he's been careless. Hung around this hotel where he shouldn't have been, trying to communicate with your daughter. Nonsense. She told you herself that she didn't know him. But it isn't true. She wants the fellow to marry her. I don't believe it. I have seen them together. She is hopelessly in love with him. There doesn't seem much that escapes your notice, Miss Marple. Oh. Malinowski isn't the sort of person who tells all his secrets. And your daughter, well, you don't know her at all. You were pretty angry, weren't you, when you found out that he'd come to Bertram's hotel? Why should I be angry? Because you are the boss of the show, Lady Sedgwick. Oh. The financial side is run by the Hoffman brothers, but the head of the syndicate, the brains that run it and plan it, are yours. <laughs> I've never heard anything so ridiculous. Oh, no. No, it's not at all ridiculous. You've got intelligence, courage and daring. You've tried most things, so you thought you'd try your hand at crime. It was the fun and the danger that attracted you, I imagine, not the money. You are one of the few really interesting great criminals, you know. Very well, Chief Inspector. Have it your own way. Yes, I ran this show and I loved every moment of it. It was glorious fun and I'm glad I did it. I've had a good run for my money. But you're wrong about one thing. Ladislaus didn't shoot Mickey Gorman. I did. Miss Marple heard me threaten to shoot him if he tried anything, and that's just what I did. You're a witness to this, Miss Marple. I killed Gorman. And now, Chief Inspector Davy, catch me if you can. Oh. oh, stop her. She's going to kill herself. She's doing nothing of the kind. She's she's shinning up the drain pipe. But she'll fall. Why is she climbing up? Because her only hope is to make it across the roof. Good God, look at her. Climbing like a cat. She'll never manage it. Oh, she'll manage it, all right. Well, aren't you going to do anything? What, with my bulk? I've got my men posted ready for something like this. They know what to do. I wouldn't put it past her, though, to beat the lot of them. Come on, we'd better go downstairs. No sign of her, sir. She seems to have given us the slip. What, you can't possibly have got far. She must have got to her car, sir, but I put two men to watch it. Well, get after her, quickly. Crazy! She'll kill someone! She'll never get on that van! She's gone over the area railings! God help her. Oh, the poor misguided soul. 
Go back into the hotel, Miss Marble. I'll be with you as soon as I can. Is she dead? I'm afraid so. Perhaps it's better that way. I cannot imagine Bess Sedgwick in prison. Well, she told her story first. A confession. You heard her. Oh, yes, I heard her. It wasn't true, of course. No. She didn't shoot Michael Gorman. Do you happen to know who did? Yes, I do. Her daughter, Elvira. Ah. And when did you begin to think that? I always wondered. She was so full of fear that night. And the lies she told were poor lies. But I couldn't see a motive at first. That puzzled me too. She had found out that her mother's marriage to her father was bigamous. But would a girl murder for that? I suppose there was a money side to it. Oh, there certainly was. Her father had left her a colossal fortune. When she found out about her mother's marriage to Gorman, she realized that she wasn't legitimate and might not inherit the money. Of course. And she was desperate for the money because she was convinced it would enable her to buy Ladislas Malinowski. It was cold-blooded murder. She stood by the railings, fired a shot and screamed. And when Gorman came running across from the hotel, she shot him dead. <laughs> she was a cool hand. But afterwards she was terribly afraid, and her mother was afraid for her. Bess Sedgwick chose to die herself so that her daughter could go free. What will you do? Well, I know she did it, but I've got no evidence. Even if I could get the case brought into court, an experienced counsel would push the sob stuff. Lonely girl, unfortunate upbringing. And she's beautiful. Yes, the children of Lucifer are beautiful, and as we know, they flourish like the green bay tree. Excuse me, sir, but Miss Blake is here. Oh, show her in, Sergeant. What's happened? What are all those policemen doing in the street? Has there been an accident? I'm sorry to have to tell you, Miss Blake, that your mother is dead. Before she made her escape, because it was an escape, she confessed to the murder of Michael Gorman. You mean she said that it was she who... Yes, that is what she said. Have you anything to add? No, I don't. If you'll excuse me, I'm going to my room. And she looks like an angel out of a Botticelli painting. Are you going to let her get away with it? After her mother gave her life for her? No, by God, I'm not. I know you'll manage it, Chief Inspector. That girl is guilty of cold-blooded murder. And may God have mercy on her soul. There must be some way to prove it. Oh, I think you may find that though Malinowski may be the devil incarnate behind the wheel of a racing car, he won't show the same sort of courage if he's faced with the gallows for the sake of a silly young girl. You've got a great knowledge of the world, Miss Marple, for someone who lives in a quiet country village. It is because I live in St. Mary Mead that I understand about human nature. And now, if you'll excuse me, I must get back there as quickly as I can. There's a parish meeting about the restoration of the church roof, and I simply dare not miss it. In the final episode of At Bertram's Hotel by Agatha Christie... 
Miss Marple was played by June Whitfield, and Chief Inspector Davy by Frederick Yeager. Bess Sedgwick, Sean Phillips, Canon Pennyfather, Morris Denham. Miss Gorringe, Jilly Mears, Elvira Blake, Tracy Wiles, Bridget, Sarah Plowright. Sir Ronald Graves, Patrick Allen, Ladislaus Malinowski, Gavin Muir, Sergeant Waddell, Ross Livingston. Other parts were played by members of the cast. At Bertram's Hotel was dramatized for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams. <laughs>